listening to Soul Knox Podcast. I'm your host, Carl Aikara, and this is episode number 46. We're inching our way closer to the 50 mark. Um, we'll be hitting that next month, so look forward to that. 50, 50, 50 shows in one year, exactly. And this week on the podcast, we have a very special show. Um, author and uh, cultist, academic, um, Satanist, uh, Shay Boulay has joined me, joined me to uh, talk about his book, um, Frederick Nietzsche and the Left-Hand Path, released by Atramentus Press earlier this year. And uh, we get into a lot of other things. We talk about the book, we talk about Satanism as a whole, we talk about um, the spirit world, um, and uh, many other things. And we also get into talking about his um, in-progress, I guess, book called Hymns of the Red Dragon, which, um, or Hymns of the Red Dragon, which will be out at some point, he says, hopefully later this year, um, through Theon Publishing, which is... um, if anybody's listened to like uh, the episode of Richard Gavin that I did and uh, Nas Alchemist, um, would be the same publisher that re- issued uh, Richard Gavin's books. So Theon is probably uh, it's up there in one, as one of my favorite publishers nowadays for um, esoteric occult literature. Um, right up there with like uh, you know Scarlet Imprint and and um, and a few others. So yeah, and Foul Man and whatnot. So but yeah. Theon is one of the best, um, and uh, makes a lot of sense that Shay is going to be releasing his next book on Theon, and I'm um, definitely looking forward to that, and I'm going to probably uh, try to get him back uh, on the podcast when, um, when closer to when that book comes out. Um, like We we talked for almost three hours, and uh, probably could have talked even longer. I feel like we barely scratched the surface on a lot of stuff. Um, but it was a great conversation. It was great, um, getting to meet Shay and, um, you know, he reached out to me about doing this and, uh, picked up his book and was very impressed by it. And, uh, I listened to episodes he's done with other podcasts and yeah, got, I was like, yeah, this is a guy that I can uh, relate to, um, in a lot of ways, you know, my, uh, my own spiritual path, you know, I have a few different sides to it. I have the side of like kind of more draconian magic aside of runic magic etc but uh and, you know the whole idea of sacred horror and all the stuff which kind of permeates everything that i practice but um you know a big part of particularly my practice over the past few years has been a kind of uh almost more straightforward satanism you could say and uh, i'm sure that's kind of you know been pretty obvious through a lot of the episodes of the podcast um but uh yeah, the, so, you know, Shay is kind of on that same spectrum in his, in his own particular individualistic way. And so it was cool talking to him, kind of like when I talked to my friend Joe and for our Satanism and Spirituality series. Um, you know, it's uh, it's always nice in that sense to uh, to meet more people who are on this path. And I've been meeting more people through doing the podcast, which is great. And um, I think that's one of the biggest and most important parts of doing something like this is, is being able to actually meet uh, cool people. And, um, and I've been able to meet a lot of cool people, which I really appreciate. So yeah, we're going to get into the episode. Um, I'm going to go ahead and uh, 
Let's see, we'll do our, our plugs. We got... So first I'll plug the Horseman of the Podcast Apocalypse, my cabal of... of uh, of what do you call it? Cabal of Apocalyptic Poc Podcasts. We got uh on um one every other Monday you have Horror Wolf six 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 with Brandon Legion, which is horror interviews, top tens, things like this. Um Tuesdays you have uh Into the Necrosphere of Jackie Smith, which is the best extreme metal podcast out there. Wednesdays you have Everything Went Black with Mike Hill, which is a uh Mixture of different different things. He talks to a lot of different kinds of people on there. It's a great podcast. Uh, he and I are going to be doing one pretty soon um, as a tribute to Cormac McCarthy, uh, who uh, just passed away. Great author. Particularly, uh, my favorite uh, book is Blood Meridian, which I think I'm going to revisit before we do this episode. And uh, also check out some, some other of his that I haven't read yet. Um, then Thursday, and of course also we got to point out the, uh, Darkness Weaves collaboration podcast that we do, um, uh, between Everything on Black and Soul Knox, which is a series dedicated to Carl Edward Wagner. We're currently running through the series, the book In a Lonely Place, recently republished by Valencourt Books. Um, then on Thursdays, you have Necromaniacs, which is Mike Hill, Mike Scandado, and Jeff Kashid. And uh, Necromaniacs is basically uh, dedicated to covering new and old horror movies. They just Their newest episode is great. It was about Body Double, which was one of those movies that I saw when I was way too young. And you kind of like go, you can see all this nudity, and you're kind of like, why do I have his feelings? <laughs> And uh, let's see, Fridays, you have Break the Apocalypse with John Draper. Um, and then uh, kind of unofficial horseman is uh, Iblis, Cheyenne from Trivax with Iblis Manifestations, which if you like this podcast, you should definitely go check that one out. Um, he just did one with the Magus from Necromantia that was sick. Um, and yeah, so uh, you can go and follow everybody on social media, on your favorite podcast app or whatever. Uh, of course, except for this one, you can't find an apple because uh, apple pisses me off. Um, but, uh, yep, and you can follow me at, uh, type in my name on uh, Instagram, or you can find me at Denver Underground Radio, um, which is my radio station, the uh, online radio station I run with my friend. And um, that kind of is like the, I post everything for the podcast as well as the radio station with all our set lists and everything and um for denver underground radio we have two shows we have one on tuesday and one on thursday tuesday is my show dark lands which is black metal death metal and dark ambient the thursday show is my friend one i do with ken my friend ken and that is uh the upstairs room which is dark wave post-punk goth trip-hop whatever we want to play and both of those shows start at 9 p.m eastern standard time uh, or sorry, 9 p.m. Mountain Standard Time, 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And uh, you can also go on to, uh, we can, uh, if you want to hear more of the podcast and bonus episodes and things, you can um, subscribe at uh, patreon.com forward slash Podcast for $2 a month. You guys, it gives you access to all the episodes uh, bonus episodes as well as early access to gen generally to episodes. Um, 
And yeah, I'm trying to do two to four episodes a, a month extra. I have a Dracula series going on covering Dracula movies. And um, just uh, put up one a couple days ago with Matt Frizo from the band Sick and Spells of Torment. And that uh, that episode was about Nosferatu 1922. It was great. So if you want to hear that, go on to Patreon, $2 a month. Then you can listen to it to all your heart's desires. All right. Um, well, let's go ahead and get into this episode. Um, and uh, hope you guys enjoy. And hail Satan. First of all, I just want to say uh, thank you for um, reaching out to me about and everything about being on podcasts. Like, I'm very happy to to have you on. You know. Yeah, I saw. Yeah, it's it's a pleasure to be on. Of course, I saw. I don't know where Solnox came up in my feed somewhere, and I thought, wow, this looks interesting. And I looked into your work a bit and said, hey. Yeah. Would you like to have a conversation? So. Yeah, that's great. And uh, I had seen seen uh, Fredrik Nietzsche in the Left Hand Path, like you know, like and I around on 
on you know Atramentis posting about it and stuff and I, I was like it definitely attracted my eye and I was like thinking about getting it and um you reaching out to me was like the the kind of like you know yeah let's pick this up and read it and you know get to talk it, to you and it was the it was the numinal kind of catalytic uh you know move to to push you in that direction you know and since then we've been talking and and i've found out that we have a lot of alignment actually i think spiritually metaphysically you and i share a lot more alignment than not and i think for something as varied as the left-hand path satanism in all its forms luciferianism in all its forms and how you distinguish the two and everything in between i think it's quite rare for any you know solid metaphysical alignment and how we conceive of 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 this uh of this entire world of experience and so i think uh i cherish that so i've been cherishing our conversations over the last few weeks yeah it's been great it's been it's been like um it's always great to meet people or meet someone who kind of is more in alignment you know because i have you know friends in different on the kind of this kind of spiritual you know left empath and they're all some you know varying shades of closeness but like some of the, like when i've listened to some of the other interviews with you and stuff that was like a lot of the ideas that you've a spouse and your kind of view on satanism as a whole is one that i really relate to in a lot uh, like a lot more than some other people i know you know so that's been that's pretty cool <laughs> yeah i think the the last couple of decades uh, really the last two or three decades has seen uh, satanism fall into this dichotomy of theistic and atheistic right and so there and and what's always kind of got me about that is it wasn't that simple even if we're thinking from a from if we're thinking from modern satanism or what uh jesper peterson would would qualify as rational the rational wing of satanism so the cos and uh, what is now the most recent iteration of the satanic temple has kind of taken that secular path. But even at the beginning, you know, if we're looking at the 1966 to 1975, when it was Aquino and LaVey and, and that the whole circle, the magic circle in San Francisco, they were, there were quite a few believers there. They didn't have a conversation about theistic or atheistic that we uh, became so obsessed with over the last uh, 30 years, they, they didn't really have that much of that argument. It was, hey, we don't want to necessarily outward facing weird people out too much uh, and, and, and own it. But in private, at least by Aquino's account and, and many others who were around during that time, uh, the idea of, of belief wasn't the the idea of belief and the ontological existence of Satan or any other spirits in, in that pantheon was not the crux of the argument. It was not the biggest deal like it is, like it has been. Um, that aspect of it was, well, believe in it in whatever metaphysical form that you want. Um, so having said that, when I feel that I've come to appreciate the metaphysical uh, approach to these beliefs in a very robust, varying, 
kind of uh, multi-interpretational way. And I think that's what we might have in common, right? I, I, I appreciate the symbolic existence of the of spirits, or egregoric, as some would say. I believe in the, what some would call monarchical, pantheistic, panentheistic, omnitheistic sense. And it sounds like we resonate there. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm I'm definitely a type of person that um, I kind of see these things as existing. There's like a lot of things can be true at once, you know. There, absolutely. The, the thing about this, about particularly the left hand path, is that there's um, um, multiple levels of, of what's real or you know what's true, and um, and sometimes those things can seem on outward face to some people to be like contradictory but that's kind of the point in a way you ha- there's like the kind of unification of the opposites and stuff like that that we ha- that you have where it's like you can have um two things can be true at, at the same time but it's right. true for two different people in a way but there is like an underlying essence that's still true in the sense that you know like say with satanism like um um I feel like particularly with Satanism, it's about the individual, you know, the individual is like, you don't want to be like, um, I mean, I personally, you know, have experience, no, believe in this, uh, um, force or this entity that we call Satan. And I have like kind of my own, um, you know, like, um, thing from my experience, this is what I experienced. This is the force I've experienced. This is how it operates, like, which we can get into at some point, but, uh, like, and how it all flows with the other things. But I kind of find there to be like multiple levels of real truth in this, you know, it's like, but I can also say that somebody who supposedly is atheistic, but calls themselves a Satanist, I can see how they can still call themselves a Satanist in a lot of ways, you know, because uh, if they're still attached, still connecting on a symbolic level of the adversary and stuff like that. Sure. Sure. You Uh, You know, there's, even with a strictly symbolic interpretation, there's a so there's so much of a tradition behind that that has a backbone. The you know, uh, I appreciate both sides of it, and I see I see truth in them both. If you look at the romantic or the satanic school, literary school of the 19th century, there's so much. Uh, rich culture there that that came to rehabilitate the image of Lucifer, the Miltonic Lucifer, the uh, Baudelaire and uh, and Blake and and all these beautiful uh, kind of emancipatory sacredness that came from from the satanic figure, and so certainly this you know Lucifer Satan Prometheus being a symbolic representation of of an emancipatory guide uh, a, a metaphorical guide or symbolic guide that is as true to me as it might be for someone who's secular uh, that is a guiding principle within my faith-based interpretation i guess you would call it right, right? Yeah. <laughs> and it, it like you said i think there's something beautiful to it that adds another way that i can interact with the divine uh the what's interesting about some of the symbolic those who who might say they're symbolic or metaphoric traditionally even then you noticed a discussion of the in-between where they say at the height of ritual i felt something there yeah Um, there was something there and it's in the middle of the ritual they 
they they can't help themselves. They become devil worshippers halfway into the ritual. They just couldn't help it, and they did as in they they have that exuberant moment, even if they ostensibly claim to be atheistic. They have a connective moment in the ritual chamber, and you see a lot of them discuss this ritual experience, and they discuss they border on transcendental. So even if there's an ostensible atheist claim they can get pretty passionate and transcendental with the way that they frame the framework still has a metaphysical tone so i think i think we get into a i think we get lost into the substrates of 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 syntax and language when really yes we have a difference in in metaphysics foundationally speaking uh, with with each other but at the height of it our our spiritual experience is still one that aligns uh from 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 an experiential sense there's still alignment there no matter what right, right. yeah i mean i will say that there is a part of me like like i'm the type of person that i'd like to i like to see i see different sides of these things you know and i'm not going to tell people what they to believe or not to believe sure. i will say there is a part of me though that does have a hard time sometimes with the kind of atheistic Satanists in the sense sure. that, uh, you know, like you claim, you know, like, I don't know, like to me, because I think because it is a true real force and I've seen that in action. And I think even, you know, LaVey himself believed in Satan as a, as a, as a force, you know, I think he, I feel like in the by satanic Bible, he didn't want to push it too much. So he kind of called it like a force of nature. And it's like that kind of, like maybe like you know not wanting to let show all of his, his all the cards in his hand has led a lot of people on this kind of framework of oh i am thinking olave was purely materialistic you know what i mean but obviously there's so much proof that he wasn't i mean aquino didn't think so you know right right there's a uh yeah, I, I think there was an active negotiation on outward appearance because part of the cultic milieu, what made Satanism sexy in the 60s was it was coming out of this new movement of spiritual movements, especially San Francisco was the bedrock of a spiritual revolution, transcendental revolution, reimagining the religious milieu, uh, the Western religious milieu, just like you saw in the... Uh, you know, the the late 19th century with spiritism and uh, esotericism, i.e., you know, Mathers uh, uh, and Eliphas Levi and uh, Blavatsky. So you had a reimagining of the of the religious milieu and that resurgence in the 60s. It was what LaVey was tapping into is we are the rational ones. See, that was that had to be leaned into that was part of the package was that we are mixing science with religious experience the satanist is the rational one so that became at the forefront and so obviously can't say well actually half of us believe in a literal satan so we're, we kind of are satan worshipers um, so I think there was a you know by various accounts Aquino has a famous story that he told and, and Aquino actually was pretty scholarly if you look at if you look at contemporary scholarship 
they regard Aquino's accounts as being pretty trustworthy. And, you know, it holds up to scrutiny because he's high, he's heavily cited and he's heavily, he writes with a scholarly tone. And so one of the stories he tells is where uh, LeVay showed him a box. <laughs> LeVay showed him a box. And in the box was a kind of a, a piece of kind of aged paper. And he said, this is a, they were talking about the future of the Church of Satan. They had a pretty broad vision of what the next 20, 30 years would look like. They had a, a laid out plan on how Satanism was going to become a uh, more or less a major religion. And it was going to make fundamental change in, in American culture and Western culture. And Aquino was, was, you know, Aquino was kind of his right hand man and telling him, I do believe you're the voice of Satan and, and declaring his new age. And Aquino was discussed his transmission of the coming forth by, by night and how he had, uh, how this had been channeled. And they said, great, we could publish that in the cloven hoof. It's fine. I'm totally with it. And, but he describes this experience. He brings out a box. There's a folded paper. And he says, this is a, this is a pact that I made with Satan to be the his voice on on this planet and you know i i thought about that for some time i believe it 100 percent. i believe it 100 percent that lavey had this uh literal belief i mean he talks around he talks about marilyn monroe's ghost manifesting he playing the piano and causing an earthquake in in mexico and he talks about this wild magic, so then people say no. And the modern Church of Satan kind of Peter Gilmore and such dances around it. But the reality is LeVay was a magician, and he very much believed in these forces and spirits and everything else, but not, you know, but then they tried it. Well, not no, he not literally thought it was a intellectual decompression chamber. It was a sci science that hasn't been discussed. You know, they they but the reality is I do think LeVay was a was a true believer in a sense. Yeah, I definitely think so. I mean, um, it just seems like all the evidence is 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 there. I mean, like you said, that there's. I've read I read that as well in the um, two volume Church of Satan book. Oh, that, yeah. uh, that Michael Aquino wrote. And um, did yeah. I tell the did I tell the story right? It's yeah. been a while since I read it. <laughs> yeah, they. Uh, yeah, it's been a while since I read it too. But I do remember. Yeah, he had um, the the pact, and I think other people had seen the pact as well. So it is corroborated that. This existed and it was, and he had it until he died, you know? So, so, you know, I guess when, when he, and you know, 1966, when he shaved his head and proclaimed right. formation of church of Satan, he did this pact. Right. And, um, yeah. It's interesting because I think, I think part of what happened with church of Satan was that, uh, there like a lot of, a lot of like kind of weirdo kooky side of Satanist Satanism kind of came out of the woodwork. And I think that kind of freaked Levey out, like these kind of like, you know, kind of kooky Satanists who like want to sacrifice animals and do all this stuff like that. You know, like all of a sudden there's like from what Aquino is saying, there's a lot of like kind of weird people who tried to start associating and mm. with the Church of Satan. And, and, you know, like I think that I think it kind of freaked Levey out and he kind of was like, you know, uh, you know, he just kind of like 
shut everything down basically you know in 1975 yeah. You know. yeah yeah it was it was also a fascinating time i'm very interested in there's scant information but there's a little bit out there burton wolf talks about it a, a little bit but the different grottos that existed in that period uh, are, are quite fascinating uh there's there there's a few that i've come to know i think one at the time was the luciferian light group which took a kind of far right wing kind of direction. And this was in the seventies. You had another that was more from what I understand, I think it was based in New York. That was more uh, to put homosexual or homoerotic love front and center. And so that was their focus in that grotto. And then you had, uh, you had, yeah, some that were more towards the orgiastic side as like a sex group. You had, uh, you know, you had Herbert Arthur Sloan, who was in Toledo at the time. And he actually uh, is, is someone I'm very interested in. He was he was claiming to have his Lady of Indoor Coven, a satanic coven reaching back to the late to the late 40s. And he has a very interesting story, but he was trying to create a grotto as soon as the Church of Satan formed in 66. So there's a few letters between Anton LaVey and himself. So there was a lot of fascinating groups that were ready to happen at that time. So if you look when Satanism occurred, when modern Satanism and that iteration occurred, you see the developmental stages and it, it makes sense. If you look at the 19th century romantic literary Satanists and you see uh, the esoteric development and the formation of the, uh, you know, the Gardnerian kind of goat-headed pan-like figure that was coming out of out of out of that tradition it 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 levey came at the time that he was to come i uh, i think a lot is owed to that whole circle that 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 came up in in san francisco michael aquino levey and, and and the sort you know you see all the instruments that were coming together at that time so i think a lot of people a lot of people cringe with with Anton LaVey. A lot of people do not like Anton LaVey. Some I think is understandable. Some I think is a bit of a reach. I think the guy's hated in our community a lot more than is deserved. Um, I think he has a he has a brilliance and a depth to him that I don't think is appreciated, uh, and that's part of why I included quite a quite a bit of a new direction in, in Friedrich Nietzsche and the left-hand path. I wanted to bring to light some of the more complexities that I think have been forgotten uh, in our, in, in, you know, contempt in a contemporary sense. But um, yeah, I, I think all the machinations that were to come together to form what we understand of the you know, Western left-hand path all kind of crescendoed in that period so it's it's a beautiful tapestry yeah well that's one thing that i appreciate about your book was that you you know take Levey seriously and you know like particularly in relation to nietzsche and i mean there's been other authors who have seen the connection between nietzsche and and um Levey, but you've taken it you know a more like one further in a sense and really developed it like the most i've seen you know like comparing the the two the philosophies of Nietzsche and how it fits in with LeVay and everything and um and how the idea of nihilism and how LeVay and Satanism can present like this kind of 
uh, active nihilistic like type sure, of sure sure you know, sure I, I feel like you've perfectly kind of encapsulated all that in the book and um yeah i mean i think that it is it it is something that i've noticed a lot in um with like the obviously like the temple is set side of things like people who come from that be it you know um like Stephen Flowers or Don Webb or Michael uh, Mike, Michael Kelly or people like that who kind of came sure. from Temple of Set, they all seem to have an appreciation for Levee, you know, like, and I mean, I, I feel like Stephen Flowers really um, tried to set up Levee as like a, you know, try to show in the Lord's left hand path, like, no, he should be taken seriously. But outside of that strand, and uh, I think Michael Ford also has written a lot about, um, his appreciation of Leve over time, like when he was a teenager and into black metal, they were kind of anti Leve, but then you realize that was kind of stupid, you know, right. but, um, uh, and he actually talks about like being into, you know, uh, appreciating Leve, but, uh, outside of that, there's a lot, a big, like industry of people, like just trying to, you know, just try yeah. to talk shit about Levee. Like, I mean, there's so many cult books that just talk shit about him, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's <laughs> no, right. Totally. I think it's a knee jerk. It's an in its own way. It's edgy. In its own way. It's edgy to shit on Levee. But it's it's. I think it's a knee jerk reaction. I mean, if you really look at, I think the biggest the biggest kind of offenders in that sense is some of the is is uh, I see it within the O nine A is a um, there is a big kind of rejection of Levee as simple egotism. Yeah, yeah, so on and so forth. Uh, but what I think is interesting, <laughs> there is a claim to kind of take it before the Church of Satan, but really you have a direct line from the uh, the nine angles in the Satanic rituals, <laughs> and yeah. a you know a younger Mayat, wh- wh- whichever one of his names is true, Anton Long Mayat. David yeah. Mayat um, saw that and you already saw the right wing kind of conservatism. LeVay was had a lot of conservative politics. Um, and as he got older, it kind of got more conservative because at the time you got to look at the flower power peace movement. He saw this as a manifestation of what Nietzsche would call, uh, you know, the slave class or the narcotization or the passive nihilists that are displacing this belief in a paradiso, this belief in an ideal, this belief in a heavenly. And they've projected this to the transcendental flower power peace movement. Um, He would have felt the same way about raves as being a rehashing of this kind of, um, this chattel philosophy, as Nietzsche would have called it. So LeVay identified that. So he looked for the opposite, which was a militarization, a militant type approach you know, and in, in, uh, I believe it might be in the Devil's Notebook or Satan Speaks, but he says, um, I think we should have an armed guard on every street corner. Um, <laughs> I think he's like, I think Israel has it right. I think we need to have a armed militia everywhere. And <laughs> and I think sometimes he's pushing buttons, but sometimes it speaks to the core that LeVay was a pick yourself up by the bootstraps kind of guy. In a sense, his politics, oddly enough, he had a lot of, you know, there's a little bit of like George Bush conservative conservatism. So the, uh, I guess what you would call, what you call paleo conservative 
kind of I and then he had some libertarian and then he had he had some like leftist libertarian beliefs. Uh, but it makes sense that a right wing, a far right wing movement would come out of that because those ideas were already there. Social Darwinism, this idea of a hard meritocracy, the idea of might is right. If you look at might is right that he adapted to form the book of Satan in the Satanic Bible from Might is Right by Ragnar Redbeard, that was already highly anti-Semitic and, <laughs> and uh, more or less, more or less a white nationalist tract and a far right wing tract. And he adapted a lot of it for the Book of Satan. He took out some of the anti-Semitic stuff. And, but you still get some of the hints of it when he says, I split up in Jehovah's skull you know worm eaten skull or you know i uplift a broad axe and, and split a skull or whatever so it made sense that the 09a came out of that i see a direct inspiration so i would imagine that even within the 09a there would be a little bit of levee respect <laughs> just because well i mean um if you look yeah i mean if you look at the cortex of 09a before it became um i mean nowadays it's definitely like for some reason, like there's the thing of the ONINA, I think is funny is that if you read the original text of the Black Books of Satan, I don't really see them as being right wing per se, personally. But I feel like maybe right. some people might read that in, but if they definitely, there's like parts of them that have definitely become like <laughs> yeah, fascist not... groups. It's, it's bizarre. But yeah, I mean, like if you look <laughs> at the, even if you look at the original Black Books of Satan, like the 21 satanic po um, um, points or whatever. Mm. It's a direct, you can see a direct like link between those 21. I mean, those 21 satanic points line up pretty good with, with, you know, sure. all of these the like nine statements. satanic sins, nine statements of Satan. Yeah. Yeah. So, oh, right. 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 That's right. Yeah. 11 satanic rules and so on and so forth. Yeah. So it's like, uh, and I definitely feel like there's um, a connection there. You know what I mean? Like, and uh, maybe that's part of why, um, uh, you know, there. I mean, I guess there is a certain like I. I understand too. Like, there's that that tend that kind of tendency to want to define yourself by what you're not, or maybe they saw thing. You know, you could see some things in Levee stuff that you like, and then, um, but then not, not like other things. You know, I get that. I mean, I don't like everything Levee did sure. either. You know what I mean? But but I feel like he should get his due. I don't feel like um, I I've always put off in the um the O9A stuff when they're like talking shit about Temple Set or Anton LaVey or whatever, you know, like, and I just kind of, that's always, I've always just ignored those things. There's like, with them, there's like certain aspects of those, particularly the core three books that I find interesting, you know, but like, and I do agree with some of their um, ideas about um, like the Nexians and the A-causal and causal. Sure, and, sure. Um, Very important ideas. There's a lot yeah. There's a lot to to there's a lot to be gained from uh, from the order of nine angles in that um, yeah you know uh, to to your one point about kind of castigating or condescending one group in order to define your own I, I guess I get it you know when you're branching off this is a thing that we do I understand that that's part of the formulation of a, of a concept sometimes you have to deviate and show that there's a difference fine I could I could appreciate that I suppose the uh however you know I I have a disdain for it just as much 
as I have a disdain for the contemporary Church of Satan saying, you know, trying to claim this is the only Satanism or the no true Scotsman kind of yeah. kind of I idea. Um, I feel a little bit that, but then at the same time, I feel a little bit that way about the Satanic Temple. <laughs> but it's okay. I recognize them as my cousins. They're just a little bit annoying sometimes, but they're in yeah. the family, right? Well, I yeah, just, the, the Satanic yeah. Temple, like, so, like, it's funny with them, like, um, I, I'll i be honest, like, I just talked a lot of shit about them for a while and didn't give them any, like, I didn't, I was like, this is, like, stupid, like, fake Satanism or something. I, that's what I thought, that, you know, right. and I kind of think that still, but I did, like, I think about a month ago, I did actually go, you know, I do believe in giving things a fair shake. I'm going to listen to some interviews with this Lucian Greaves guy um, on, um, and it's on like a, a podcast that's uh, somebody else who's in the Satanic Temple. Um, and there's a lot of stuff that puts me off very much about the whole thing, like this kind of like weird fluffy bunny, like friendly, yeah. friendly Satanism. Um, and like Lucian Greaves is like, I'm with him on like freedom, his freedom of speech ideas. I'm with him sure. on. Sure. Some of these things, you know, but right. overall, I'm I'm really baffled by um, the one thing about Satanic Temple that really two things that bother me. One is that I'm baffled by this. Like, uh, I don't believe I don't personally believe that you can be or I don't know about this idea of religious atheism, because I feel like that's I feel like that's like a doesn't make any sense. Like, um, like, like how you can be like, um, um. It's like your take. It's like the only good thing in religion is spirit is the spirituality side of it, in my opinion. And mm. it's like if you take all of that out, right? Then all you got is like kind of like I don't know, like I don't know, some kind of a weird like yeah. empty framework, you know? And sure, that... sure. Uh, th this particular conversation I find incredibly fascinating, and it's one that I've had a lot of thoughts on. And I have to say, that's actually the part of the Satanic Temple that I find interesting. And that is, there is a, I had a conversation with this on a podcast on for Deferred Gnosis years ago when it was just me and my secular atheist friend, militant secular atheist friend, and we would argue topics. And one one of them was um, secular religion. And it was brought on by, by the conversation on the Satanic Temple. There is, there is some, you know, precedence for it, some minor and some major. Obviously, Buddhism is a, is a is a is for the most part an atheistic religious phenomena uh confucianism some might not say that's a religion or not and then you have uh, the church of ethical culture it's considered a religion some have tried to say certain forms of philosophical humanism is and there obviously the church of satan or anton lavey set a precedent for this kind of thing a non or a non-theistic um, and in some cases, non-supernaturalist. And so there's a big conversation on, does it need to be supernaturalist, so on and so forth. Well, Paul Tillich defines religion as that which is of ultimate concern. And so, yeah, that's a pretty broad, that's a pretty broad definition. But, you know, if you look at the root of, of religion, you get religare or legare, the ligament, that which binds together. So then something that brings people together to have a shared transcendental or utmost experience to be something that's religious. 
I could buy that. I think that's an, I think we, I think paving, I think religion is important in that that connective experience, that shared cultural experience, I think is a necessary one. And I'm with the idea of secular or, um, you know, or you know, atheistic or secular religious movements. See, that's the, that's actually the part I find interesting about the Satanic Temple. My problem is on one hand, I think they I I it's hard for me not to look at it and feel like they have they've they haven't lampooned my religion. And, right. and they've they've black crafted my religion, they've hot topicked my religion, although hot topic <laughs> in the night hot topic in the 90s was pretty cool. Yeah. And it had like black metal stuff. But it's it's hard, it's hard to, and, and another part of it is I think it's made it too easy. Satanism was is a transgressive experience. No matter whether you were in the Church of Satan or O9A or whether you were a theistic or atheist, what have you, there is a transgressive experience becoming a Satanist or that something catalytic, something transgressive in the way you just your mere existence and how you interact with the world. There's something antinomian. There's something radical about it. And the Satanic Temple seems to lack that. No, and in fact, the opposite. It, it, my biggest problem with Satanic Temple is that um, I feel like there's. I feel like it's too. It's like it's supposed. It's almost like this friendly Satanism. You know what I mean? Like it's like this. Like it's like taking like obviously Levé had like the stuff where he wore like you know like his like devil costume and stuff. You know, kind of, kind of, kind of you know camp or whatever. Che but cheeky, campy. Cheeky, yeah, right. but. But they they take it to just like oh we're like these fluffy like rainbow Satan and Satans and you know like like literally I hear I've heard people in the Satanic Temple talk like that like you know like it's just like just makes me sick you know I mean like baby like, ba baby Baphomet baby you know, Baphomet like and yeah I don't I don't like that's what that's what I really don't like about them like I don't and like a lot of, so that's my big thing like I also don't really I find it kind of annoying now because now if you say you're a Satanist like you have to kind of like people start to think of the satanic temple. That's like the first thing they start thinking now. And I, that's I'm, unfortunate. Like, no, I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> that's, un that's, that's unfortunate. You know, Not associated with them, you know, <laughs> I think, I think, I think one way of thinking of it is, you know, what got me to open up to, to open up to not trying to not, not exploiting the no true Scotsman is I thought I've always had this idea as a Satanist that, I'm I'm the buck stops with me. So the the atheistic Satanists will say, well, fuck the theistic Satan. Not all of them, by the way. I'm just using an example. They'll say, right. well, we don't believe they say the church is saying we don't believe in in a literal Satan. That's for those foolish, whatever. And then the you know, then theistic Satanists will go, well, we're about, you know, humanistic, loving one another. We don't harm children animals whatever whatever um but if someone decides to do animal sacrifice well fuck those are not the real theistic satanists those guys do animal sacrifice they're not real satanists and then the ones who are doing animal sacrifice will then <laughs> see the o9a and they'll say well we're not about crime that's not real satanism those guys that are doing the crime i've <laughs> you know so there's they're they're doing what we've been doing for thousands of years, that's when the Romans accused the Christians and the Christians accused the Jews who accused the Gnostics, the Manichaeans and the Bogomils. And then 
on and on and on. And I say with Satanism, the buck stops with me. And that is I'm not going to tell say another group isn't satanic. So yeah. if I'm going to say, they'll say, well, what about the ONA, those nationalist, socialist, fascist, those white supremacist guys? I'm like, look, I don't agree with those things. I don't want to be a domestic terrorist or <laughs> join or join Adam Waffen or anything like that. Um, but I'm not I'm not going to do what you want me to do and say they're not real Satanists. Right. It stops. It stops at me. So if I'm going to do that for. Adam Voffin, I'm going to do it for the satanic temple. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, that's that's kind of my thought process with them. Like, is that, um, you know, I don't really particularly like them in the same way that I don't. I don't I also don't particularly like um, some like weird, like fa like crypto fascist Satanism either. You know, I mean, like neither one of those things is, is what I I agree with. But, um, you know, it's like a, like, you know. There's like I said, there's certain aspects of the ordinary angles that's not doing dealing with all the stuff that I can agree with, and there's certain things yeah, of the yeah. satanic temple that I can agree with. You know what I mean? Like so, it's like uh, like I do agree with them, like about you know certain ideas that they say or they you know they hold as important, like their ideas and freedom of speech, their ideas about you know kind of Christian theocracy and all this kinds of stuff. Like I can stand with them on those topics, you know, and but I just. I just particularly not wrong. I don't want to be associated with, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I don't want people to think that, that that's, that's what, you know, type of Satanism. and I don't, I don't see too many types of satanic books or things like that, that particularly, um, fall into the type of idea of Satanism that I, that I believe. I mean, um, Thomas Carlson is pretty close and some of the ideas that Michael Ford has, you know, like, um, there's the aspects of the dark lord like this kind of force like this is some this is what i i can i you know that's what i believe in you know like yeah yeah i i had it's good you kind of brought it back because i was uh i had a few a few points on the o9a and that is um so we take their idea of the age of imperium and, and some of that stuff that has been interpreted for certain far right wings that whatever whatever uh what i don't you know, and there's some ideas about this kind of hyper accelerationism or let's see an end of the modern world. Sounds OK. The parts that I think are there, there's parts in there that I think are universally important, though. One of the satanic points is, uh, you know, do not. I think it's the last one, actually. Do not love something that which you cannot see gone. So do not love there. There's so there's an idea of understanding attachment. Do not love something so much that if you were to lose it, it would be a, it would be kind of a crushing experience. I think they're adept grade initiation where you have to go out into the forest for three months and then you have to do an insight role. And I'm sure a lot of people listening are probably pretty well versed, but if they who probably listen to your podcast, <laughs> but if they, if, but if they aren't, you know, the insight role in the O9A is a, it's, it's taking on an occupational role, a, a, a different persona, a different life, in order to gain insight and transgressive insight from that experience. So for example, for the adept grade, they say you have to take on an insight role for two years or three. And that is you take on the op an entirely opposite experience from what you've come to be accustomed to. So for a lot of people, that means be a neo-Nazi for two or three years. Yeah, I don't know because, why. <laughs> because that's the most transgressive thing you can do. But yeah. If you were, if you came from hippie parents, yeah, you join a far right wing. If you were, came from far right wing parents, you would become a 
hippie, you know, and the peace movement for the next three years. If you grew up with, you know, well-off affluent background, you would live on the streets for three years. Or, you know, if you if you lived a pampered existence, you'd become a criminal for three years. It, you take on a role in order to entirely transgress that which you were to overcome, a self-overcoming. I think that's important. I'm, now, I don't know if an insight role is the right answer, literally, but I think one lesson that could be taken from the Order of Nine Eagles in this way, uh, from, from Mayat's writings, is this idea that we should embrace and we should embrace a transgression of our boundaries in new and novel and uncomfortable ways. That transcendence happens at the edge of the boundary. So I think the O9A teaches us that we should not allow ourselves to become comfortable and that we should accept the transience of life so much so that we allow that we allow that discomfort in order to take us to new heights of who we are. And we should try to redefine who we are every few years. Be Look back on that past and almost like a, a process of edisis, like a snake molting. We should look back and go, wow, this is unbelievable where I've come from where I was. And in a way, that's that's a that's an 09A type transition where you could say I, I completely took on a, a, a new life. So I think that's an important lesson to be to be drawn from that, that idea of a hardened uh, transgression. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, again, I know in some of the text, there's um, statements about like, um, um, to you know, to them, the, the path of Satanism is the is the path of doing. It's a path. Of, it's a hard path of doing things. So it's like you're it's not about sitting around. Like it's about like doing things in the real world that change your life and doing like real, you know, doing the magical practice. And they talk about um, the whole point of this whole kind of path is that you do it a hard way. You're going, it's like you're climbing a mountain and then you think you get to the top of that peak. Like you've gotten to this like peak of like, of that point of existence. And then you realize that there's only a higher peak to go. You know what I mean? So you have to like keep Indeed. like, um, you have to keep challenging yourself. Like there's no point where you're like, just like, um, resting in your orals really. I mean, you can spend certain periods of time. Like they talk about like, um, like, uh, at the first stage, like you can, you know, you can spend periods of time at that kind of like peak level, but then you always have to push further and push past it. And I think that's, that's kind of like, um, I, I always agree with that because I feel like, um, a Satanist is not somebody who's going to just sit around on, you know, resting your laurels for too long. You're always, you're always in it to keep trying, keep moving forward and, and, uh, becoming greater, you know? And to me, that's the kind of satanic idea. Uh, I mean, like has a lot to do with that, you know, like self-transformation and self-overcoming, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And right. Right. And, and I think that's what ties, that's what ties a lot of these paths and the and the Western contemporary left-hand path is brought together because of that transgressive. And that's it's a little bit harder to see that with the Satanic Temple, to be honest. But you know, they are pushing buttons. They are pushing against the Christian conservative right wing. They have a loose 
adoration of the satanic figure. Um, I saw, you know, I, I went to visit the their, I went to visit their museum or their the Satanic Temple Church in Boston. I, I live in Portland, Maine now, and at the moment I travel around a lot, but I'm back in Portland, Maine, and it's about an hour and a half, so I I visit I visit a couple of times, and you know they have a little ritual book, so I guess they have a secular ritual book. You could do rituals, oh, really? but it's secular. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> and I think there's beautiful art there. They have a nice satanic throne. They have this kind of court couple of thrones in there and some old masks. And um, I think it's supposed to represent the aristocratic Satanism. Maybe uh, the uh, uh, the affair of the poisons with uh, the, the 17th century kind of scandalous aristocratic black magic uh conspiracies yeah. you know so I, I think that's what the room's supposed to represent and being a being a person of faith or being a believer i guess to put it simply i walked into that room i felt the presence there <laughs> i felt a presence in that room a very heavy energy and yeah so it was it was it was interesting. And I went there a second time and felt the exact same thing. So there is a powerful presence in that. And I thought that was, that was fascinating. Um, so I guess what it kind of with anecdotally, what that kind of proves to me is that with the ritual accoutrement and with the framework, I think a spiritual experience is going to be had no matter what. Yeah. Well, Think it's interesting well and if they're kind of highlighting that as like the kind of 17th century diabolism that um um i think helped give birth to things like the grimoire and verum and everything like that and uh, indeed, indeed. it's a pretty a pretty fascinating era of, of black magic like i really very interested in 1700s 1800s Fran french black magic like uh oh, indeed yeah who's the men's like um abbas and all that kind of stuff oh right right, right but right. um yeah, I think that the thing that it could be pointed out is that, um, um, you know, this even, you know, so even if you believe you call yourself an atheist or something, that's just your. I think that these forces have uh, existence outside of us. So, like, in a way, it's like somebody is an atheist. Like that's their choice, you know, if they want to believe it, but. At the same time, these things can still operate on them, even without them being aware of it. And I feel like, particularly when you're tapping into some type of symbolic, deeper force like Satan, I think that force is going to still operate through them, whether they're aware of it or not. You know what I mean? Like maybe that's it, so it can still create that kind of spiritual force there. You know, like you're talking about that presence. I right. I think it's a. I think it's such a palatable it's such a it's it, it is such a tangible force that it is going to it is perfectly fine manifesting in all these ways and it's working even if someone's not necessarily aware of it it's working on a profound level I think if you've delved into the occult in any serious way and you've been you've had a average kind of predilection um or 
any any sort of or whether you didn't delve into it at all, but you've had a you know, just like in genetics, some people have a predisposition towards spiritual experience uh, in in a similar way. So even if you didn't dig into the cult, but you've had a predisposition towards that experience, I think we're going to have experiences that are you can cor- corroborate, co-corroborate. You can look at. I've always approached magic with a rationalist mind present. That is to say. I like to verify the experiences I've had and I'll take something I saw in a dream vision, look at the workings that have been done and determine that there is no way that how there's, I rule out certain things and, and regard them appropriately, but there's certainly experiences where it's irrefutable. Yeah. Well, there's this is something I, you know, this is something that did not exist. Clearly, this is a prophecy of some sort. Clearly, this is a manifestation of some sort, Um, even if it's something like a synchronicity that's extreme, like a level of coincidence that's so extreme. You go, okay, that's pretty compelling. Or if it's just an outright vision that comes to fruition, um, you can only do that a number of times and try to deny it. It becomes insurmountable to deny it. Yeah, that's been my experience. You know, when I got into all, all this kinds of stuff, like, um, you know, 20 something years, like 20 years ago, you know, when I was a, um, like 16 or 17, I already been like, um, like doing like meditation, been practicing Aikido and doing like Zen meditation and stuff like that before that. Um, but I got into like all the kind of magic, um, occult stuff you know when i was a teenager um when i really got serious about it um like um it you know i went into it pretty rationally like you know let's just like and that's kind of how i do a lot of a lot of operations is you know i go into like i'm not going i'm going to try to not um i try to go into things with an open mind in the sense that i want to see what's going to happen you know what i mean what the spirit's going to tell me that kind of stuff and um, try to have a kind of clear kind of communication where you're not like, because I don't, you know, sometimes maybe people are projecting stuff onto things or whatever. Like try to like see what they're going to show me as clear-minded as possible. It's part of that kind of rational approach. And um, you know, like I've had so many experiences where um, you you contact some type of a spirit or a force and uh, have these kind of visions of things that that um and you know that they're there you feel that feeling there's this feeling you get this intuition like if you develop your intuition you have this intuition that's true but then you can have things will then happen that will corroborate it or you'll um i'll read and um all of a sudden you pick up a book and it'll be like somebody else like saying the exact same thing that you just shown in a vision exactly like that that kind of stuff happens to you all the time um and um like it sometimes even like crazy amount like i remember one time i did this kind of meditation dropping down into the self did this ended up encountering this um this figure that um was like a feminine figure uh and she had like this throne of like bones and all this um there's a lot of stuff that happened but some of the words things that she said um i was like i uh stuck in my mind and i was i went to my friend and i was like telling about the experience 
And he's like, you know, it's crazy because the exact same things that you're talking about is in this book, um, this like book about the goddess Maya, you know, in the Hindu, like, uh, and this like pamphlet that he got. And so he bought one for me. He's in New York at the time and he sent it to me. And literally it's like this, like him to Maya, uh, who's like the goddess of like, um, you know, reality basically. Sure. And, and literally there's like statements in it that are exactly the statements that I had in this vision. And I didn't even know who, like what I was, what I wasn't, yeah, I had no right, idea right, right. who this goddess was, what this horse was. It was just sure. the thing that she present, this presented to me and I had to kind of like figure it out. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I had a, I have a few that come to mind, but that are in line with that. I had a, I don't talk about this a lot, but I had a, um, uh, I will, I will take some out so that, so in order to kind of preserve the, the, the respect between myself and the spirit. But I encountered this kind of, I was at a, it was in a dream and I had this, uh, it was almost in a carnival-esque, it was maybe sunset, it was overlooking uh, some ocean. Maybe it would have been the California coast, but it's hard to say. And I'm walking through this carnival that seems to be selling uh, maybe some trad witchcraft, traditional witchcraft type, uh, you know, really, really gritty, you know, dried up frogs and <laughs> skins and uh, candles made of animal fat or something. Yeah. And this, uh, I, I can only describe it as an 8-bit death figure. So if you're playing like an early Nintendo and it was like a death figure, maybe from like Final Fantasy 1 or something. Right. And it approached me. Now that sounds funny and that sounds silly, but if something were to approach you like that in the 3D projection, <laughs> it's actually quite terrifying experience. Right, yeah. And it stopped before me and it said, uh, it revealed to me a death curse. Now, it didn't speak it to me, but it says, I'm going to give to you a death curse and I want you to use this in a particular way. And it had laid out a very specific, a very specific format. And I woke up from it. And it was, it had a common flower name and it sounded really weird. It was <laughs> a common flower that also sounds silly to give to a very serious being that's relaying to me how to use a very potent death curse. Right. And I looked it up like, is there a spirit by this name? This sounds really strange. And I looked up the kind of Latin root of this particular flower. We know it by a particular name. And then I found that it comes from a family of flowers. I, I had no idea this at all. It comes from a family of flowers that is grown traditionally around cemeteries. It's associated with death. And I went, whoa, <laughs> this is a bit much for me. As in... <laughs> I didn't go down that road much further because it had legitimately terrified me. Right. And I, I thought I am interacting with this spirit and I maybe, you know, I'm, I, I, I interacted with it one more time after that, but I'm even afraid to speak the spirit's name. Mm 
Yeah. Because it was a, it was encountering a being that is of a very particular energy associated with violent death. And, you know, if we want to talk about, you know, real demonic, what people think of demonic, if you look through, if you look through the dictionary infernal or you look through the Grimorium Verum or you look through the false hierarchy, you're going to see these uh, like Andreofos is the Phoenix, you know, this kind or this uh, not so much Phoenix, but it's sometimes drawn that way. But uh, the this peacock figure that teaches uh, geometry and measuration and mathematics and uh, people think, oh, these demons are his. But really, you go through a lot of these kind of indexes and these these spirits are teaches you to find treasure, teaches you to impress a lady uh teaches you all the secrets of languages and it's these are not these are more daimonic right they're more not when you know when colloquially we think of these demons as these ultra violent figures this demiurgic type this old testament yahweh type figure and this was an interaction with a spirit that legitimately embodies absolute uh, stark violent death yeah, and it is just not an energy that I don't know if I ever want to associate. Right. I don't know, even in blind hatred. Well, perhaps in blind hatred, it might it might be a, a something to tap into. But I don't ever really want to be in that level of blind hatred. That's not necessarily a mode I want to be in. Right. I, you know, I think the Buddhistic teachings should step in before you get to that stage. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it's usually very wise to get that point and uh, want to, you know, uh, that's why I don't really believe in um, a lot of the kind of cursing type of stuff. But like what you're talking about with um, the day, the, like the true demonic forces, like this is something that, that I always um, point out is like the sake, the demons of like the Goetia and stuff like that are like, you know, there are allies in a sense. They're they're spirit they're particularly if you're kind of on the on the left hand path, like, you know, they're forces you can work with and, and gain power and all this kinds of stuff. Like they are more demonic, like you said. Um it's kind of like a a linguistic thing. There are forces though that exist in the universe that are very real, that are what you know, the average Christian when they think of a demon, what they're thinking of isn't the demons of the Goetia. They're thinking of this an this kind of anti-human, I call them like abyssal entities, things like that. Like they're forces that will, um, you know, uh, fuck people up. You know what I mean? They're the kind of things sure. that will possess somebody. Like, like I can't imagine Belial or Astroff or something like wanting to possess somebody. Like you know, like some little girl or something. You know what I mean? But these abyssal like kind of entities, like as like. I decided to call them um, Will, you know, because they're <laughs> they probably feed off of the pain and suffering that it causes and stuff, and they they'll Indeed. use those they'll use those names and stuff like that. I think to um, because maybe because um, that's like the or the, that's a person's understanding of what you know, like if somebody's raised Christian and they think of demons or you know, Belial and stuff, these these entities are perfectly fine with. Yeah, yeah, sure. I'm Belial. You know what I mean? Because it makes the person more <laughs> afraid. You know what I mean? But no, totally, totally. Those those things are they're very different classes of entities, and there are definitely very dark spirits. I'm, 
you know, like that exist and, and um, they are very real. And, you know, I've, if you ever encountered also people involved with like dark side of Brujira and stuff like that in Mexico, like, um, oh yeah, those, yeah they, like, they, they work with those types of things as well. You know what I mean? Like they like make, make friends with them, you know? Right. Right. Like in uh Kimandar Palamayombe or something like that. It's, uh, Right, right. There, there is, there is an absolute black magic in a very colloquial sense. I think to think of these, I, there has been some spirits that I've interacted with that I could only describe as as almost like single celled organisms, as in they're just feeding. And what they'll do is they'll induce these feelings of terror. And I can tell that it's, you know, or like dream feeders where they're they're in a dream and I can tell, wait a second, this is a weird cycle that seems to almost be have an intention to it, a substrate of intention. And then I realize that there are spirits that are creating events or creating visions or creating an experience for you to experience pain or fear and it's feeding off of that and then when i when i look deeper into it i realize i don't think this spirit is necessarily cognitive on the level that we appreciate it this might very well be like an insect or a single celled or an amoeba type but it it's hard to compare it in that way but not all spirits are these terribly complex i think there's elemental to the point of being uh, like that. Like they're, they're simply feeding off a particular, like a will-o'-wisp is merely feeding off the pain and suffering of, uh, and so I, I've, I've been, I, I've encountered those a bit, but we have to, you know, when you think of that palatable experience when there's death. So if you think of uh, when there's a sudden accident, and suddenly someone is gone from from uh, from here. They they pass suddenly, suddenly, without any hint, without any warning. And then if you imagine it that their immediate family is the first to find out, they get a cop, they get a call from the cops or something. There's been an accident. Then you have this heightened energy that that blasts in that kind of this explosion of of response and heightened emotional reaction and you see that from the immediate family and then beyond that phone calls go out and facebook posts and then there's this chain reaction that hits a community of people that have surrounded this person this is a tragedy it's an extreme tragedy but it's this explosive tragic emotion that you see almost like a net and I thought about this before, how it becomes almost this strange, horrible, tragic kind of thing. Something something I myself have been through. And I think, of course, there would be a spirit to represent that. Right. There's spirits to represent love and travel and sea and the, and the sea and relationships and money and jobs and status and masculinity and femininity. Why wouldn't there be a spirit to completely embody this ultimate tragedy, pain, fear, terror? Of course there is. Of course there's a spirit um, of a holocaust or a spirit of terror or a spirit of terrorism or atrocities. Of course there's a spirit that embodies atrocities or war. And these are not, 
these are where I think things get, you know, where I think the left hand path gets a little far in a contemporary is tries to rehabilitate some of the most horrible beings uh, that exist. I, and I might catch some flack for saying this one, but, uh, you know, Lilith as a positive entity, as a positive being is a very recent phenomenon. Lilith was at the very beginning always a pretty ravenous, destructive entity. I think that's a good example of one that we've kind of rehabilitated, I think, beyond what she was intended to be. I think she was always meant to be a very terrible being, not necessarily a soft kind of progressive icon. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Yeah, I think uh, you know, like I work with, I've worked. Lilith is a major goddess for me, and I feel like she's not. I get kind of uh, annoyed with um, people who try to take, you know, like Lilith Fair and all that bullshit because, <laughs> like, you know, like she's she's like a very dark, um, terror, you know, terrible in a way force. You know, what I mean, she's sure. a blood covered goddess. You know, like, and I mean, a part of being left hand path is you do kind of. Uh, you overcome that that fear that a goddess like that creates. You know what I mean? Like in you, and then you learn to embrace that in a way. You know, and you're kind sure. of overcoming these types of things. And and even if she is like a violent force, I think you should accept her as a violent force and not try right. to turn her into Indeed. this like bullshit like uh, progressive <laughs> icon. Like you said, like that's something that bothers me. Um, that's one of the things that bothers me about like, satanic temples. They try to make everything like fluffy, bunny, like, oh, look how friendly they are. But these, even, like I said, the daemon, the daemons, like in the Goetia, are our friends and they do do helpful things. You know what I mean? Like, but they aren't exact. Even them, like, you know, I wouldn't, Wild's not like a friendly spirit. You know what I mean? Like, in the right. sense that, like, I don't think we should be, you should be realizing that these forces are. You know, we are on the left-hand path. We are embracing these dark. We are Satan. You know, Satan, and to me, is this is a force of this kind of utter like um, darkness, where there's a light within the darkness. You know what I mean? Like there's, it's this um, force from that kind of flows through everything, and um, these forces become our allies, but they're not necessarily always like the friendliest forces. You know what I mean? Like sure, sure. <laughs> I, I feel in in my practice, I feel that Satan has been Satan has a particular form that has been one of the more compassionate. Actually, uh, I think there's now I I've come to experience Satanist Satan in a number of forms. Yeah, you know, w one of which is absolutely terrible. The there's there's Satan as a terrifying presence uh the satan as a god of criminality um but there's also the, there's the satan of, of of the wood as the as the as the 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 he goat of the or the witch father of the of the sabbath yeah and it's this mysterious god it's this god of mystery and even that has its own level of terror but from the side of being the great black mystery uh the the great natural mystery and and the and the darkness and, and the indarkened path of the benighted path um but then there's a satan that i've come to have a relationship with that is on the ground with us close to the earth 
and that is here to fight for the downtrodden. That is the Satan at the crossroads, the Satan that walks up to the side and says, I can, I can, I can help you if only you'll let me guide your hand. Right. If only you would, if only you would take a moment to listen to me and speak my name, well, I will show you beautiful things. Yeah. Well, there is, I, I do agree with you. There is that. Uh, I do believe that Satan has multiple different forms, like you said, and you can invoke different ones once you find the keys to those different forms. Sure. And there is definitely that side because, and you'll find that, like I was thinking, I've been thinking about this a lot sometimes where, like, I don't, that's why I, I don't believe that Satanism is purely this kind of adversarial, like, abyssic, like, destroy everything, like, black metal thing. I think that's a side of it, you know? Sure. Like, the, the pure, like, craft type of thing that yeah. there is a part of Satan that is that, but there's a lot, there's a constructive side as well, like you're talking about. And that's often the side that I feel like you, more of the side you see in something like Levee and Satanism, where it's like, here's a framework for people to live in the world together. And that probably would be a much better way. You know what I mean? And Satan is there as a force that helps you helps in a lot of ways as well. So I do agree with you. Yeah. Do you mind if I use the restroom really quick? Yeah, I'm going to pause it quick. Yeah. There we go. It was built in 1890. Built in 1890? Yeah. That's pretty cool. They'll live in somewhere like that old. I'm <laughs> sorry, <laughs> Belgium. This part of Portland, this this part of Portland, Maine, it's called Old Port. It has a, you know, cobblestones and it's right seaside. It's right on the, on the, uh, the ocean and... Uh, it looks like because I lived in Belgium for a year and a half when I was getting my master's and it reminds me of Belgium, Flanders. Like it's I like it. I like that older aged feeling. Now, you know, New England old 200, 300 years is not like Belgium old, which is 1200 years. So, right. You know, it's it's a different scales. Yeah. This is the but, thing when you're in Europe, everywhere you walk is, you know. <laughs> Somebody's died there, probably. <laughs> right. Damn. That's the thing about when you're talking about um, a minute ago, um, when somebody dies and they leave this kind of, you know, there's like this kind of chain reaction essence to something. Like, right. like these types of, that type of energy does last and it builds up. And so you walk into some places in Europe that have been there for, you know, for however long and you're like, you can feel that that energy there, you know, like build up from all the time. Yeah. There was a, one of the first, you know, you were talking about some things that influence your, your, your faith. And, you know, for me, I would say, uh, you know, where I, where I am with my Satanism is a, is a mix of the, some of the, um, some of the folk devil worshipers you find in South America and, and Central America and Mexico, where there is a honest, good worship of, of the devil. And it's, it's a very folk style. Yeah. Um, so I, the, I, I'm that mixed with, you know, it's an honest to good worshiping of the, of, of the devil in a very real way, just honest to good devil worship. <laughs> no, no strings attached. Right, yeah, and no shame in my game. I have a mix of that, but also very on the earth. Also, very not terribly. They're, they're, it's 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 very emotional. It's very 
psychologically emancipatory in the sense that it's to the basics. It's it's tangible sort of satanic worship, but in in a very um, in, in a very human way, in in a, in a very illustrious kind of uh, graven images. You know, there's idol idol worship. So in a very in a very tactile, literal sense of devil worship, and mixed with something like the Star of Azazel. So Johann Nefastos, I love his work. That's highly intellectual, highly scholarly. And he he comes from like a theosophic background. I come from a theosophic background. I studied my, the first, the first ones I studied was um, Annie Besant and Dion Fortune and Blavatsky. That was my first opening to the world of the cult. So that highly kind of high order intellectualization, late 19th century, early 20th century type intellectualized form of spirituality and metaphysics. I'm, I'm, I'm also driven by that. So I'll say I sit somewhere in a, in a mix of those two. But going back to what you're saying about that tangible energy associated with uh, tragedy or something. Uh, Dion Fortune, in her book, Psychic Self-Defense, was the first occult book. I, I read it when I was 12, found it in a used bookstore. And she talks about that there was a tragedy at this concert hall, if I remember correctly. And she says that the performers saw a head manifest on stage. So what I always loved about the theosophists, they were very literal. They 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 talk about air elementals. So here's Dion Fortune talking about air elementals and psychic vampires on the astral plane and people floating. And I thought, wow, this is this is what the occult is. It's it's good <laughs> that that was my first exposure because it seemed so radical and interesting. Like, wow, this is really what's going on. But she she talks about how tragedy can create this energy that can galvanize into something. Levey talked about that too, with the. Um, how to become a werewolf, right? Yeah. Where he talked about, and his he talked about hauntings, where an energy seems to gather and a place seems to, it seems to form its own persona. I definitely seen that, you know, like um, uh, I, I think I, like with some some of the <clears throat> psychic worlds, like I remember reading Michelle Bellinger's book about um hauntings that she's encountered, and she talked about one place that had like this negative like thought form ent entity that was like feeding off of people living in like Ish. a basement you know what i mean like Ish. and you're like yeah that that kind of stuff it, a place can gain this type of negative thought form oh, like 100 and that's what you're talking about like, earlier with like the kind of like um it's almost it's like uh maybe not fully conscious you know type of entity feeding off of unpleasant things and driving but then i kind of always had this this um theory in the past because uh, I think something, or not just a theory, it was something I was shown in a vision, uh, particularly working with like the lower levels of the cliff off where these types of entities you know, corresponds to that kind of level where these entities exist, you know? Sure. And, um, well, and also in Kumbanda, they call them um, Kiumbas. That's another name. Uh, they're kind of like these type, and it, it's another name for the larva. You find the same concept in ancient Roman or Greek ideas. Yeah, he's like kind of empty things that feed off of people feed off of things feed off of misery and pain and suffering and all this kind of stuff i kind of had this like idea that that was shown is that if they feed off of enough pain then they can kind of like level up you know what i mean they gain a little intelligence over time the longer they're there like feeding off of pain and then that 
then they find that's ways. interesting and then you know then you have an entity that's purely based off of parasitical feeding off people that right. has gained some intelligence you know what i mean like it it's around for long enough that it starts to like figure out ways to influence people to cause them pain and stuff like that you know what this, I, mean? I think that's i think uh, yeah i hey there's no reason there's no reason to necessarily exclude darwinian uh, adaptation to this this metaphysical world no you know <laughs> i think uh you know particularly like i see all this stuff um as being you know it's existing on other levels other dimensions you know i'm not like um i think that there are a lot of the there's a lot of aspects of the laws of nature that we have here that are reflected on different levels of of experience you know what i mean so yeah i mean i don't know i mean i feel like it makes sense so if you have an entity that's doing that and maybe they start off as like this kind of thought form that somebody created and it, and it gains like a kind of intelligence over time you know like it. yeah i think i think egregore the egregore model is is a real one but i don't think it describes all spiritual phenomena but i certainly think egregores exist thought forms exist but i think it's one way that they do you know yeah it's, i'm it's one thing like it's not yeah. everything yeah <laughs> no right right i'm putting together a i'll be teaching a uh, a class on demonic pact making in la in a couple of weeks um and I'm putting the presentation together and I'm kind of thinking how I, you know, how I want to approach it. I'm putting it together and, you know, I think right up front, I'm going to put a couple of things out there. One saying this is not going to, I'm not going for historical reasons. I'm going to cover Solomonic tradition and the Ars Goetia and, and the Testament of Solomon and the Grimoire Verum and the Grand Grimoire and, uh, the Dragon Rouge, or you know, I'm I'm going to cover these these things because that's where we get the demonic names and and that history. However, we're not going to go into the blasting rod and the coercion. And this is a this is demonology. We're going to build relationships with these spirits. Yeah. The second thing is, I'm not going to tell you or force upon you an ontological status to these demons. However, we're going to assume they exist and we're going to act accordingly. Yeah. I'm not going to have an argument about, <laughs> you know, but 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 here are some options. You know, they they could be egregoric. They could have existed before humans. They could these are spirits that could manifest because of a particular uh for example, uh a spirit of war. So there might be a Loa that's a spirit of war. There may be Ashu, there may be a particular god, but you also see a goetic spirit that uh, embodies this this spirit of war and they may be similar they may not be they may be related maybe there was a spirit of war before the first animal even evolved on this planet there was right. a spirit of war yeah because it meant something else then and it comes to us in a particular way uh maybe the chimpanzee has a spirit of war that comes to it in its own way uh, maybe an amoeba has a spirit of war that comes to it in its own way, and it's just a different modality. So, you know, I'm thinking that, and it, it's tied to this conversation because it's we're all the ways in which 
and this ties back to the beginning of our conversation, all the ways in which these things can exist. And I think, I think all of them are fair game. And I, and I think not just one has to be the key. Uh, just like a friend once told me, uh, you're not just like, you're not going to get to Narnia the same way that you came in last. Um, I had this transcendental experience on LSD. And at the time, this was years ago, he wasn't into psychedelics at all. He hated, he just had this unilateral, hated all drugs, psychedelics, cocaine, meth, they're all the same. And I told him about this experience that I had where I had this atemporal or paratemporal experience. My first time doing acid. This this is a long time ago. And he said, uh, I will respect that you had that experience, but I will tell you this. You do not get to Narnia the, the same way that you came before. Right. And I think that was wisdom. <laughs> that was a, a unilateral wisdom in that you're not always going to get there the same way you came last. That's true. And you know? another aspect of all that too, like um, I think um, it could be argued that no matter that when you're doing an operation like that, interacting with the spirit, the best course of operation is just to accept that it exists and it's real. You know what I mean? And and then to have like precision and what you're calling, like, um, and um, and then like, in a lot of ways, the arguments of whether it does or doesn't, blah blah, you know, like are kind of that's secondary. I think that when people are in, involved in the operation, they should just like. Like you said, automatically assume that it exists. Right, right. Could, you <laughs> we know, can worry what, about that other part later. Yeah, we're going to worry about it. And then the other side of it, too, is it's like, from my experience working with, say, the you know the demons or, or early any kind of spirit, is that um, when, you, when you contact them and your communication, you, you communicate with them, and you do the ritual and stuff, um, particularly if you work with the same spirit for a period of time, there is going to be both this experience that you have, um, channeling vision, stuff like that, but then it's vibrational force will interact with your vibrational force and that'll interact with your psychology and a lot of different levels. And you'll, you'll have, so the experience can occur, can that experience of a, um, a spirit will have, um, ramifications on your, you know, on yourself on every level. You know what I mean? Like, like, um, psychological, other thing because I think it all comes from the kind of vibration, the energy that it puts forth interacts with yours, and you'll transmit that in different ways. And if you work for a spirit for long enough, where you create like a kind of harmoniousness with them, that will change you on a fundamental vibratory level. If that makes sense? No, I think so. And that's that's one of the reasons that you know I think there's certain deference that must be paid to particular spirits, uh, you know, something like Corinzon or Abaddon or Lilith. I think the even Lucifuge or Fakala, there's how we interact with them is very important in that you pay proper deference to their wavelength because um, your life is going to align with that signature. <laughs> Yeah, and it becomes a process of integration, as as well. And um, and I mean, here's the other thing too, which I think a lot of people work with spirits realize is that um, it's kind of like with people. Like when I I meet certain people, like when like us talking right now, where it's like our our stuff's 
like you you feel like that like yeah we we're getting we get along you know like there's like this vibration like you feel like this pull or you know there's like certain things where you connect to people but then there's other people you meet and it's the opposite like their 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 frequency their energy clashes with yours and you just hate even just being around them you know that kind of stuff like and it's just like this purely intuitional level where you're tapping into that low, lowest that that side of ourselves you know and the same thing is with with spirits as well there's gonna be spirits that you connect with and and um and interact with and and connect with them and it's like this creates this deeper bond or something you know it's deeper energy there's gonna be other spirits that it's the opposite and you'll have and if you right if you persist in trying to work with the spirit that's when i think people could have negative things and i think that's what sometimes people who aren't really aware in that level and they keep trying to interact trying to call a spirit because they think they should or something like that like right and uh and it's just like not going well for them you know i mean you can always tell when somebody's doing you know it's like yeah this force is not interacting with you very well you know what i mean like probably should uh find one that does you know <laughs> i had that experience with kali i Spent a few years uh, different ways, giving adoration and sacrifice and offerings. And no matter what, it was terrifying, terrible experience. <laughs> like it just wasn't, uh, you know, I, it, I was, I was always anxious around her. I was always, I always felt like I just wasn't doing something right. Uh, I always felt in a constant supplicatory state and and as if i just wasn't in alignment and uh you know i think there was a i had this terrible dream of which i awoke and it felt like the room was filled with a hundred people there uh, and i had this idea that i had to that Kali required an offering. And so I gave a blood offering onto a, uh, I had this copper mask. It was a beautiful mask. There's beautiful iterations of Kali. Yeah. And it all went away and I was calm and I went, mm, this relationship is pretty, you know, this, this relationship is pretty intensive. It's supplicatory, which is fine. I'm okay with devotion. I'm left-hand path. But in the sense that I also have a right-hand path devotion, and that is I think it's okay to just give devotion, not expect things. And I think it's okay to abolish the ego. And I think it's okay to, to just give. I think it's okay to be God-fearing in the sense of fearing the awesomeness or terror of a God and recognizing that and, and giving devotion. That's perfectly – I think that's, that's okay, and that's a valid form of religious observance. Um, however – I always felt like it just wasn't quite enough and I wasn't in alignment. So some people interact peacefully and calmly with Kali. For me, it was a terrifying experience. And, you know, I'm not initiated into any Vedic path. Um, I think that's another thing. Sometimes we're not meant to jump certain traditions. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I mean, I've worked with Kali in the past and it was, it was okay. Like, uh, but I always felt like, um, I, you know, I was fascinated by Kali and the, the the mothers and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But I just never, like with the whole, the tantric system in India as a whole, I think there's a lot of interesting things to be gleaned from it and everything. But I guess for me, I've always been a little bit more, um, 
um, it's just never really like clicked with me in a way that it does for other people, you know, like hundred percent. Right, yeah. And, and then it's funny though, because there's, you know, I definitely am, uh, I practice like rune magic and Nordic, Nordic magic as well. And I feel connected to that, but you know, I also feel connected and that, you know, that makes sense on like maybe the physical level, but then I also like, I've always found this like deep connection with like, um, you know, like, um, like even like the whole um, kind of um, clephotic, um Hebrew Hebraic type of words and system and or like the Canaanite you know like the Canaanite like pantheon like if I if I if I um read like the um like um say like Dragon of Two Flames with Michael Ford and I'm reading like all these original like you know cuneiform tablets and like the words that's in them and everything I feel like this weird like kind of connection to that you know what I mean like where you just have certain things that just like feel comfortable with you know yeah yeah absolutely and i think region has a part to play i do think ethnicity uh or racial ties could could play a part i think that's one of the more obvious ones what culture you come from i also think just timeliness i think there's windows of time where where it makes sense um the yeah the kelepotic or the you'll say cliffotic path never really pulled me in i i felt that i felt that it was i felt that i had to be more on the uh, judaic framework to truly appreciate uh the you know the place of the kelepotes but uh you know you know what was uh santa muerte uh, uh, approached me in dreams and i I was devoted to her for a few years and it was very powerful and very yeah. physical. And what was interesting about Santa Muerte is that she, 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 she was very tangible appearing to me in dreams, often giving obvious signs, yeah. giving obvious messages. It was shocking and it was radical and it was very magical and to the point of having conversations with her, like live <laughs> conversations. It's funny um, that you mentioned her because she she came to my mind too uh, a few minutes ago because I was like going to say it's like there are certain entities that there's Santa Muerte is one that I've practiced with for ten years. You know what I mean? Like daily, and, I give uh, her daily offerings and stuff. So indeed, like... indeed. <laughs> oh, that's fascinating. Yeah, you know. I I think it made I, I think in that sense it made reasons for a couple times. I think Santa Muerte, I think she jumps culture because ultimately she I notice she does approach people outside of the Central American culture. She seems to do that quite a bit legitimately. Yeah. And even the Santa Muerte church is very open to that. Um I'm I was I've been embraced in the you know in la a couple of churches devoted to santa marte came up over the last decade and when i was daily devoted to her it was you know they 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 embraced me with open arms and um that's what i appreciated about the santa marte cults and uh, you know it made sense at the time this was in the mid 2010s i was um I was getting off of some substance abuse at the time. That was a stage of life. I went into rehab for a while. It was a time of reflection and um, getting, 
you know, going through the going through the mental health assessment and and kind of changing my life. And I had a lot of things to deal with. And Santa Muerte approached me at that time. And it makes sense because Santa Muerte approaches those who are downtrodden. She approaches the rebels. She approaches those who are trying to get literally those who are trying to become sober and those who are trying to make these changes. And she came to me during that time. I knew it was going to be an intense commitment and I had bonded with her and she helped me move along that path. And a cup, you know, over two or three years, I felt that the relationship had changed. I felt that there was a particular, I was giving these weekly sacrifices. I w- I kept two candles burning at all times and I was giving these Friday cultos, the, uh, and it, you know, after a couple of years, it was, it had kind of, you know, once every few weeks or something like that. And I felt like she was getting angry <laughs> and uh, she was getting, she was getting angry with me. And I felt uh, that, you know, at the time I was getting sober and this intensity made sense. I was in a part of my life that I needed I needed that I needed that type of relationship. And as things kind of got better and I got kind of control of 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 my life and things were looking were looking good, I felt like that fire of the that original was was not necessarily there. And I think that be there that detachment was not appreciated. So I respectfully I gave, I, I, I decided, I asked her permission, is it okay if I end, if I sunset this relationship? And uh, she she had told me, yes, but you got to say goodbye now. And uh, yeah, it was dramatic. It was dramatic, but I put everything in a box. I said, I'll give this away when the time has come to a devotee or if I open up my practice again. But that's a perfect example of something that was timely. It made sense timely. And it more or less runs its course. It made sense at that time. Yeah, that happens a lot with... um, um, I'll have... Occasionally, there'll be that um, type of thing where an entity will... Or, you know, a spirit will kind of um, make itself known. And, uh, and, uh, like... um, a few years ago, I had uh, Azazel. This is a spirit I've, I return. I work with periodically over the years, and um, he made his presence very much known to me at this particular period of time when I was kind of in a similar state where I was trying to like kick some bad habits and stuff. You know what I mean? And and sure. it was like a complete like it was like uh, it was very dramatic. Like I did this uh, working with him, and it was literally like a physical change. Like he like reached it. It was like they, he was like, we're going to, um, it was like a, what do you call it? A spiritual operation kind of, we're going to remove some, mess with, (laughs) do some things. And, uh, it was like literally overnight, all of a sudden it was like, I quit like, um, some substance. I quit smoking. I I was just like completely like, I quit smoking cigarettes and like, it was just like, I was like, got healthy and everything. Like it was, you know, so these things can, help you and they'll come out and reach out to you in those moments. And, uh, um, and then he kind of rewrited me on my path kind of, and then it was kind of like, it, it kind of spread its course. And then, you know, eventually I probably work with him again at some point because he's spirit I work with here and, you know, 
when the time is right, you know? So it's like, that happens. Like those kinds of spirits do that, you know? Yeah. And yeah. How, how do you feel about that term working with, by the way, I always felt that that didn't, it makes sense. It's the easiest word to say, but I, I try to avoid saying it now. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I personally try to avoid saying, it cause I feel like it's too fraternal. Right. right. So that's why I say I paid devotion to something worth. I was devoted to rather. Think, what do you think, think? What do you think about that? I think it depends on on what what you're doing. So like what you're talking about with Santa Muerte is a devotional experience uh, relationship, right? Sure, sure. But then there's other entities where it is more of a um collaborative collaborative working together. Yeah. I think it just depends on the on the context of the I do think that sometimes people have a tendency to overuse that term working with, like where to use it indiscriminately for whatever they're doing. You know what I mean? Like, and uh, I do agree with you. Like I'm working with God. I'm working with God. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's just, you know, I I don't, I don't work with Satan, you know, like I don't work with Lucifer. No. You know, these are, these are great, you know, I'm not, I'm not at that level and I'm okay with that. Yeah, it's like you can do a working with a spirit where it is to a more specific goal, I guess you could say. Um, more specific, you know. That's fair enough. Yeah, I think uh, I think it just depends on the context, you know. Like in that case, it was kind of working with in a way um, where, but it was almost also like um, because that there was there was aspects of it where they there was kind of like um, it's kind of like spiritual operation or whatever. And then I had to do the work to like, from that point to, well, uh, respond to what occurred, and then like, learn how to uh, to work myself into a better state. You know what I mean? Like with his with his help, I guess you could say. So yeah, like, and that that those kinds of experiences are the kinds of things that like always tell me, yeah, this is real. Like because you can have an immediate physical effect from these experiences you know what i mean like it's not just in your mind you know like these entities do exist you know some it's like um and yeah like we were talking about earlier i've always had that that uh once you had a after when i was young like in my 20s once i had enough of these experiences i had a handful of them i was like yeah this is there's something there is real you know like I'm not gonna there's no point for me in like questioning all the stuff you know what i mean like Right. I can, I can try to understand the differences and the different kinds of spirits, the different energies, all that kind of stuff. But these things do have a real tangible presence in our lives. Indeed. The um, and so you're just talking about you're doing the working and um, uh, you're doing that demonic pact making part. Um, but you also just announced a new book. I wanted to talk about that before we sure close out like the book he announced sure 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 there's yeah i think it it kind of one germinated from the other so i i make a you know i try to i go back to southern california um a couple of times a year for a, a number of reasons you know that's my old stomping ground and uh one of them is i usually do a I have a a longtime friend and ritual partner. Her name is Tara. Many online know her as Lucia Lowe. 
And we, over the last seven, eight years, we've committed ourselves to these uh, workings that take us to as far transgression and asceticism as it could possibly go. Some of them are incredibly complex ceremonial workings that we do off the grid, two or three hours in the in the desert, in the Mojave or in the mountains or something like that. Um, some have taken us overseas and, and and stuff like that. But she's in she's in L.A. She's based in L.A. And we have a right we're going to perform out in the Mojave. And that's that's one reason. But I thought since I was going to go there, there's the Crooked Path store in L.A., and it's run by my friend Salvatore Santoro, an interesting guy. And I thought while I'm there, it would be, you know, it'd be fun to maybe do a book signing, maybe teach a class. And I've been wanting to do one on pact making and a practice that, that's been close to my heart for many years now. And uh, I've wanted to share some of the some of the experience and and some of the some of the things that have arisen in my research and so we set up that that class that's going to happen on June 10th and as part of that i well actually it's a couple of things so at the end of Friedrich Nietzsche on the left hand path there's a few hymns i wanted to include although it's a, a philosophical text i wanted to include something that Although not ritual, I wanted to include something that spoke to the more spiritual aspects. And I included the Orphic hymns of Dionysus and Apollo. And I added my own hymns of Satan and Lucifer. Yeah, they're very and, good. <laughs> oh, thank you, brother. Yeah. And I recorded them. I decided, you know what? I'll I'll decide to record a couple of videos where I recite the hymns. And I really enjoyed that. And I thought, I don't want to stop there. I want to maybe record more hymns for different spirits. I thought, wait, well, I am, I am teaching that class and I am kind of putting together that, that lesson. And why not take the opportunity to write a book of hymns, demonic hymns and record them and kind of dovetail it with the with the research that I'm doing and the presentation that I'm doing. And I thought, where would that be a good home? So if I did like a scholastic kind of introduction to a spirit, because what you have with these spirits in these Solomonic grimoires is you'll have a, like a paragraph if you're lucky, and it'll say controls 36, le 36 legions and is conjured to find treasure. Right, and, that's not very useful. <laughs> and uh, sometimes there's more, sometimes not so much. But I thought I'd I would find some spirits that I could give a kind of scholastic introduction to, and then I would write a hymn, so a legitimate kind of book of religious hymns, and then I would record these, put some music together, record these, and then we would uh, release it with the book so that there would be a, you know, I guess for the deluxe edition, we'd have some vinyl, we'd have some vinyl to go with it. And then maybe for the standard edition, we'd have like a Bluetooth playback device or something. And just think it's so you could be mobile. I don't know if you're doing the right somewhere in nature, you can't have a CD player or cassette, you know? So, uh, yeah, and I thought, where would there be a good 
home for that. And I thought it Theon would make sense. And uh, yeah, I had a conversation with David Beth. And so they've agreed to release uh, the hymn of the red dragon. So uh, yep, that's, that's, that's the next book. I think you'll see that towards the end of the year. We'll see that released through Theon publishing. So yeah, I'm really excited about that. It's some, it's, it's thinly related to my last work, but definitely the last book inspired me to, to jump into this one. I, I hadn't even really planned for this project. I have quite a few projects that, that I'm excited about that I want to see to fruition. And I, this was not on my list. If you asked me a month ago or five weeks ago, I, this wouldn't have been on there. Uh, a book of, uh, a book of demonolatry or a book of demonic hymns, but some things you are called to do. And I feel that uh, it makes sense and it's uh, it wants, it wants to come out. And I, I, you know, although it wasn't on my schedule, I have to respect that. Hey, I mean, I think that, um, that's, that's where the best, best things are created from when you feel this sudden, like, uh, call to, you know, you're like, I feel like this fire, I need to create this. Like, there's a reason underlying, I think, you know, like, which probably will become even more clear to you as you, as you put it together, you know, like, or even after it's done, like you look back and like, yeah, that's, that's why this came to me at that time. You know what I mean? And even if you're, or even more layers of why I came to you. Yeah. I, I think with, with demonolatry, it's been, with all due respect to to the community itself, it's been rather thin with literature. You have maybe you know Stephanie Connolly, who has you know written quite a few independently published books on the subject, but you haven't seen a lot, and you've seen a lot of depth with like David Rankine and uh, Stephen Skinner, Doctor Stephen Skinner on this kind of grimoires and looking into that from so there's been a lot of scholarly work on the grimoires tradition and the solomonic tradition but there hasn't been a lot of work done for some of the religious adoration or adulation of the demonic spirits and the goetic spirits uh, demonolatry has been out there. I would say I would say demonolatry is is a relatively recent phenomena. Although many will claim that there's traditional family traditional demonolatry that goes back generations, but they haven't provided really <laughs> any evidence to to make this claim that um, yeah. this may be watched hereditary a couple too many times. But there's. Uh, I feel like there need there there's there's a need for a bit more kind of uh, well researched literature to join the fray, and in instead of there's a lot of kind of personal gnosis that's being projected on when it when it comes to the realm of demonolatry literature, and I feel like it deserves an honest in depth kind of exploration of these spirits but written for those who worship the demons right. who aren't uh who see these demons as gods to be worshiped 
and whether people have their opinions of it or not, or how dangerous it is. Uh, there are certainly people who worship these demons, and I think it deserves more depth. And I think demonolatry is is a legitimate religious devotional path. And, and that's what I think this vision of a book of hymns is intending to give that uh, devotional depth that I think it deserves. And they, that these spirits, that these spirits deserve. I would agree. I definitely think that there is a need for um, a book that, um, you know, like, I'm not sure what, you know, what demons you're going to be including, but I'm sure, like, are you going to be, is it some of it going to be coming from your own personal experience from working with the spirits, like your type of, um, like what you're writing about them and then the, the hymn itself, like kind of like based off of, working with the the demon yeah so no that's a great question so it's it's a mix of two things so it's a mix of it's it's going to be a mix of demons that i've i'm certainly not going to do 72 or 100 right you know that that would be like an 800 page but i i it's going to be a mix of spirits that i've interacted with and have been devoted to and some that are have a little bit have some information about them but that information is generally generally not put together so it's going to be a mix of spirits that have a in-depth information and then there's going to be a couple that are that are that are not known at all so it's going to kind of run the run the gamut of uh, with a, with a combination of those two in mind. So, for example, um, Andreofos. The this is this is a this is a demon that I've interacted with in the last couple of years, and I am going to. There's not a lot of information for this spirit, and it's one of the more lesser known goetic spirits. But although I do understand, there's a weird cartoon online cartoon series that has taken some of the demons names and Andreofos is in there. It's kind of silly. I, I saw like a little bit of it. I said, Oh my God, why? Yeah. And <laughs> that's the one thing about like Japanese anime has taken, you know, the Japanese have had a very interesting fascination with Western esoteric and demonology, Western demonology. This series is almost like, if a Jap, if if like in the '90s, the Japanese appropriation of Western in anime of Western de- demonology, Western demonology was then taken back to a Western cartoon. That's what it would look. Anyway, <laughs> I um no, the, there's the spirit Andreofos, and there's there's little known about the spirit. That that's one that will be included. There's a spirit in the Grimorium Varium. Al is a is a spirit that teaches languages. That's one that I've interacted with uh, so those are some of the lesser known but then there will be variations on uh satanas or satan there'll be lucifer and so there'll be some more well-known there'll be some from the because of the name the the red dragon so there will be some spirits from the dragon rouge that are included as well and that's where the kind of namesake comes from the hymns of the red dragon so the hymns that are speaking to the spirits of the Solomonic tradition. Um, awesome. So yeah, 
That sounds great because that's something that has always been um, um, exactly what you're saying. I feel like there's not um, enough, there's not really any book particularly like that. You know, like um, Michael Ford's Goetia of Shadows, he has a little bit of personal like experience that he added to the common list for some of the spirits, but not for all of them. You know, like I feel like that's, that's, um, a big hole in 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 the literature is like um is what you're exactly what you're writing like to be like okay here's this goetic demon you know there's like a paragraph written about it maybe you have to like like some of them like in the past when i've worked with some of them i've i've like collated like gone between like all like 10 different grimoires i or versions of grimoires i have to like uh right. read read the description in all 10 of them or whatever just to kind of get <laughs> an idea of of their energy but um you know some of them i've just worked with cold just be like all right let's just see what it says see what happens and and then i'll i'll put my my experience with them in context with the with the literature after the fact i have done that in the past as well and um but i feel like there's um a real need for for a bit more in-depth look into the into the demon so so i'm like uh I think this idea is a really good one. Yeah, and I think it's uh, giving... So, on one level, it will serve as a scholastic compendium, that is to say, gathering the information, but some of it will then be a, you know... Uh, it'll be extrapolating on some of the features. So, what can we tell from the animal form that it takes? Where do we see that in, in mythology and what can that tell us about it? So it's described as appearing in this way. What can its title tell us when it's prime minister or you know, when it controls this many legions? Why was it given that? Why, why is this a Latin name compared to a Greek name compared to a Hebraic name? What can we see about the etymology of the spirit's name and what can that inform us from what, what scholarship has taught us about this and, and what is the treasure hunting aspect of the spirit what does it have to do with the region and time that this came up is it related to the hundred year war when there's or some of the wars that happened in europe where there's kind of there was a possibility to find treasure yeah. so <laughs> some of these spirits they're you're appealing to so look what can we understand if we dig into the minutia of these of these even the scant descriptions so I'll be choosing some spirits that are lesser known. I'll be choosing some more well-known and kind of interpreting them in a, in a, in, in a, in a, in a, in different ways and giving, you know, and, and not just simply providing hymns and digging into a, a, a personal gnosis, which personal gnosis is fine. It's okay. We have our experiences, right? But I want to give where these hymns are coming from. What is the information that is feeding these hymns? What is, is what foundation is feeding this religious adoration, these images that come with this, uh, with these, with this hymnal. So yeah, I'm excited about the project. I think it's contributing. I'm excited to, take aim at contributing something of this nature to to uh, to these spirits and demons that I've adored for over the last couple of decades. And I think there are people who 
have more or less done what you did and done what I did and done what a lot of people have on this path. And that is digging through Reddit threads and Facebook groups and picking up whatever scant information you can find between grimoires. And I think, I think there's room for us to look at some weight to the spirit in a new way. And I think there's, there's other ways we can get there than relying upon the paragraph and without just making it up. Like I had a dream. This is actually what belly all looks like. Um, right. Which is what you see online a lot, right? Actually, you know, right. Yeah. Actually <laughs> a drum, you know, a Dremelec is, comes to you in the form of, you know, so instead of just necessarily speculating, looking into looking a bit deeper in, into them. Yeah. And I think you can channel a bit of your own personal connection to the the spirit or the demon in the, in the hymn itself, you know, like connect with the spirit, the spirit's energy and kind of channel, channel that into the hymn. Like, yeah, I think there's room for that. I think there's room for that in the, I think there's room for that in a in a hymn. I think there's room for that in in devotion. But I'm really trying to ground it in uh, objective analysis. So I'm really trying to ground it in history. I'm really trying to ground it in fact, in a historical fact or etymology, or you know, I'm I'm trying to ground the hymns in that so that I'm pulling from the the essence of the being rather than an interpretation so there is a creative of course there's a creative aspect to the hymn but it's pulling from it's it's pulling from historical analysis right yeah you're grounding yourself with historical analysis as the base and then indeed and uh maybe on a spiritual level you're connecting to and it's kind of coming together into the hymn is like the outpouring of this right 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 so well, I, excited I about that yeah i think it's great and i'm um, Theon or Theon is a great uh, home for that. I think you know. And, uh, yeah, I think they had the uh, infernal mask. They had some of the uh, the cult of the black cubes. So I think I think Theon has been a home for some of the some of you know some refined left hand path type material. And there's um Weber Nigra Solus, which I which I I'm a big fan of that book. Um, black Sun. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Soul Knox. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, they published uh, that the Libra Negri Solus is a very good uh book about the Black Sun and as a very thought provoking one. So yeah, uh I think what your book is gonna be a little it's gonna be kinda like an offshoot. I mean it's gonna be a little different from their normal, you know, like but I think that's probably the attraction to you know for them to be like here's somebody who takes this seriously um and uh you know like is also presenting like a scholarly because that's also part of you know what they do as well so yeah i think it uh, i i think there's a i would say you know I think the tide is turning and that is to say that the way that I have approached the subject of, of the left hand path and Satanism or even theistic Satanism is 
coming it in a in a way that isn't easily refutable or it's not easily uh, kind of pigeonholed into into something uh, i think for a lot of serious occultists <laughs> the satanism is a you know silly preoccupation and they may not always say it that way they view they'll they'll have their bywords and their crosswords about satanists and um and uh, you know that's okay you know i never i never came into satanism to to be accepted by everybody and i understand it's uh, and i understand there's going to be times that some people just won't like you know that i will be judged for my beliefs and so on and so forth i could live with that that's been the case for a long time yeah <laughs> but i you know i think what's happening is is that and i have aimed to do this is that bringing a level of of depth to it that it can't easily be refuted and it can't easily be uh people are realizing that they can't judge in a, in a cursory sense some of the some of the material that uh, or or some of the ideas they're not easily able to allay it or 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 send it aside and I think they're, you know, and and I'm taking I'm taking advantage of that need, and and that is that bringing bringing theistic Satanism to a to a level that is not being forgotten. I'm here's the thing. I think um, I it's okay if you don't understand me. It's okay if you don't like me. But you better uh, you better. I guess you 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 better listen before you you're gonna hear this side before you judge me and I'm and I'm gonna get a seat at the table. So Satanism gets a seat at the table, and whether you like it or not, and it's not going away. And look, like I said, it's 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 okay if you don't like me, but at the same time, you better like me for the you better not like me for the right reasons. I'll be damned if you're gonna not like me and not listen. So um I I've felt charged to bring kind of the the way that I approach this kind of multi-layered, we kind of discussed it towards the beginning of the podcast, this multi-layered way to approach Satanism, this robust in-depth historical and i think once you add that kind of legitimation i think it forces people to listen in a new way and i think contemporary occultism was in some ways trying to step away i mean you have like fall man and nick saksar and Anne sophia are of course providing a platform for for satanism but i think you know some of the broader occult scene is is ignored satanism or tried to cast it into like it's some dark or immature the same old silliness the same old judgments they've been giving to satanism for the last hundred years and you know i'm taking the moment to kind of make sure they don't let their guard down and make sure they remember um what what satanism came from and what it stands for so and I think with this demonology project, it's it's bringing it to a it's bringing a sophistication to demonology and to Satanism that is going to open up a, a, a different kind of platform. You're right. It's not exactly what Theon 
would get used to, but I think the tide's turning. And I think some people that there are some places that wouldn't have provided a platform for Satanism are going to change. Yeah. Well, I think it is important because um, one thing that I always feel like is um, the type of Satanism that um, I think you and I both kind of uh, connect on, right? Like this, this kind of other way, like is not one that's explicated too much in the literature. Like almost every satanic like book that you get is generally um like one's just like pure satanism it's generally going to be either the kind of anti-cosmic gnostic style stuff which i don't really can i don't really agree with on you know or you know sometimes the books are okay but i don't really i'm not i don't and that's not me you know and there's also right. or you got the levian side um nowadays you got people we're trying to write the kind of atheistic side or whatever, but as far as like legitimate, like um, kind of theistic Satanism that stands somewhere in the middle of all these things, that's, it's pretty, there's not, it's not a really, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there is a, you know, there's, uh, there is some very little known groups, but uh, they're charming. You know, there's, um, there's the, there's the Brotherhood of Satan. <laughs> They're a little known group, I think, based out of, I think, based out of Ohio. And uh, there, there isn't any writings coming out of there, but they're they're a group of kind of more or less or what you might call orthodox Satanists. There's some books that came out through Lulu Publishing many, you know, a decade or two ago that talk about uh there's there's if I remember the name correctly, there's someone based out of Chicago. What were they called? His name, I think, is Myrmidon oh, Pontifex yeah. Rex. <laughs> yeah. Church of the Black Goat. Yeah. Oh, yeah. T uh, that's right. Cabal, <laughs> Cabal of the Black Goat. Yeah. Is that it? Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. Cathedral and of the Black Goat or something. Cathedral of the Black Goat. Right. Yeah. Right. And it's, uh, you know, it's it's not it's not scholarly writing by by any means. And uh, not terribly eloquent. I give all my love and respect <laughs> to these guys, but it's not terribly eloquent, independently published. But I would honestly say that some of my Satanism might be closer to that, you know, as in it's a kind of um, it's a kind of religious adoration, a, a worship. Uh, and but certainly there isn't. A, it's very scant. There isn't a lot there at all. I think there's an interesting thing that happens. And I saw this throughout my life and that as people matured and got a little more information, they stopped being Satanists. They felt like Satanism did not carry that eloquence or that refinement or that avenue that they're looking for. But my biggest contention of the, of, of an, a big preoccupation of my life is that I argue that Satanism has that depth. It has that it has that complexity. It has that significance. It has that meat to grab onto. That's kind of like, that's kind of a, it has the, the depth of spirituality and has that depth of religiosity that people claim it doesn't have. And I have made it a major preoccupation of mine to display and, and find the history and find the, the, the core of what Satanism has been and where it's going. And that's why Friedrich Nietzsche and the left-hand path reflects that. 
And this new book, a book of demonic hymns, seems like it's completely different than a book of occult philosophy. But one thing they have, one thing that they have in common, is that they're providing a depth of, uh, they're they're providing depth to our to our to the satanic religion, and that's what both kind of serve. And that's every single thing I'm going to produce for the next decade is going to be devoted to building our history and building the foundation of the satanic religion. Right. I think it's important, important stuff. I mean, I did think I was like, yeah, there's like the cathedral black goat you had. Of course we talked about or ONA earlier. You have some people like Michael Ford or Thomas Carlson, but there's very few uh, voices out there. You know what I mean? Like, um, like uh, presenting, um, a certain type of Satanism, like like Michael Ford has some stuff that's more in the vein, like um, they point puts out in like the Bible of the adversary and stuff. Yeah, the, but, he kind of has a uh, kind of talks about the deific masks. He's kind of atheistic a little bit. The thing that I found interesting with him is that um, uh, basically part of the reason that he put a lot of that is because he wanted to present a system that. Uh, he didn't want to like lead people. He didn't want to lead people and tell them what to believe. Right. That's something they said in interviews. And he's like, he's, I think he's, he's, re he's responded to that criticism of his book by being like, for me personally, I'm a theistic state. Like I believe in these things, but I don't want to tell people what to believe basically. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah. So, because I think he had, he's been had that criticism a lot, and I think he's like, okay, yeah, I, I I, maybe I took this too far trying to not tell people what to believe. You know what I mean? <laughs> so some of his newer yeah. books, he's like a lot more outright about, yeah, this is, you know, these have objective reality. Everything. Oh, great, great, great. Yeah, that was. Uh, I love Michael Ford. I, I, I appreciate contributions that people make to this path. Um, yeah, my my one dig, my one dig has been I don't think there's been enough editing on a, on a lot of his books, yeah. but I think he has a lot of information he wants to bring up. I've just found like his uh, Nephilim book and his um, was it Dragon of Two Flames? Yeah, um, the one about Can Canaanite. Yeah, it's just yeah. So Michael Ford, I love you. Just a bit more editing. Right. A bit more like continuity. <laughs> that is that is definitely uh, an issue with some of his books, uh, but um, I this has a lot of good information in them, and I I um, you kind of have to like go through it and glean out the best parts. But I I think more than anything, his uh, contribution. I mean, when I when I was getting in all this stuff, I mean his his books were some of the first darker style you know aside from satanic bible i was like i was having this hunger i want to read books about like true like somebody who's coming you know real you know like like not like uh, i don't know like so many so many people try to i guess shy away from that type of stuff for so long and i wanted to read something that had um somebody took satanism and the dark side of stuff like seriously and so his books like were some of the first ones i came across because it's like early 2000s you know like Oh, it was it was it was like 2005 when I found his books. You know what I mean? Yo, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think I think Michael Ford really was at the forefront of a 
kind of resurgence of of uh of satanism you know he he t- he galvanized the internet wave uh of you know so the internet had kind of brought together satanists for the first time in a new way and he um he kind of took took advantage of that situation became a a central figure and he produced a lot of work during that time when no one else was really doing it you know and he uh yeah so he kind of captivated that era and that kind of galvanized michael ford's as a central figure you know yeah he's a pioneer in a lot of ways and so i always give him credit for pioneering it but um but there is a, a certain type of Satanism that, that I feel uh, connected to. He kind of hints at it in some of his books, but he's never released a book fully about it. And um, there's not really a lot of books out there that talk about the, the feeling that I have. You know what I mean? So it's like, it's, it's one of those things. Like there's this like uh, kind of like um, a few years ago, I became like uh, very set on, and those were more than a few years ago, but everything kind of galvanized together. And I started like um, developing kind of my own path in a way where I'm like, you know, I when I first started, I kind of had this my own path because you didn't have a lot of information. And then you kind of get try out different things and do different techniques that you read about in books and do all those kinds of stuff. And you follow things and it is your path. But then I kind of like thought back to when I first started and the certain things that I intuitively connected with and did and feeling in energy. And I kind of took the things that I had learned and then reconnected with that intuitive energy. Um, And I realized that there's a lot of power in just like purity in a way, just like, yeah, I work, uh, work, you know, with Satan as uh, you know, I have devotion for the satanic force and uh, sure and um and the demons and the, you know like do the traditional like uh i use the you know calling the calling the, the directions i use the traditional like levee and like you know and i conjure these forces and everything and you know there's some there's a lot of power in that that kind of purity you know and i think that that's something that i don't see a lot in books you know you know maybe it's just one of those kind of wordless things in the way but it'd be nice to see more people exploring this in, in books like what you're talking about. So, yeah, right. Right. And I think, I think that's, that's become a major preoccupation. I see a, I see a need for that. And that's where my, that's where my interest is. Yeah. Yeah. I'm looking, that's great. It's been great talking to you too. Like very good conversation. Oh yeah. It's, uh, you know, I, I, I've been doing a lot of, I've been doing a lot of interviews because of the book recently. And I like, I like talking with you because it's, it's two saints talking to each other. So we get to, (laughs) so we get to talk, we get to talk shop. We get to talk about some of the deeper aspects that I don't normally get to talk about. And we get to, I got, you know, I think I, I, I had the opportunity to open up a bit more about my, some of the more spiritual dig into some of the more spiritual cultic aspects, which I don't really discuss publicly very much. 
So I appreciate, you know, I appreciate that. And that's what I, that's what I'm excited about talking with you is because we get to dig into the weeds a little bit more than I would usually get the opportunity to. Um, otherwise I speak in kind of generalities. This is what Satanism represents and we kind of move beyond that. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I listened to some of the interviews you've done and, um, I feel like some, like um, some of them, it was they're trying to like figure out what you know what you believe in, all this kinds of stuff or whatever. And it's like, all right, I already kind of with you on it, so I was like, we don't <laughs> kind of bypass that that side of things. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, no. So I I definitely cherish our conversation. But yeah, I mean, if you um want to come back on again at some point, you know be happy to, to have you back on talk about some other stuff you know so yeah i think when the uh i think when hymns of the red dragon is around the time that it's going to be released or release maybe we can jump on and discuss some more things yeah it'd be great yeah so i've been great talking to you shay and um thank you again <laughs> yeah i'll uh uh before before you let me go the uh, Friedrich Nietzsche and the Left Hand Path is still available. Um, so if anyone is interested, they can get it through any of the usual suspects, um, Miskatonic Books, uh, Anathema, of course, Atramentis Press. And they're with Cyclic Law. There's also some at various stores around the world as well. So brick and mortar like Watkins and Courtyard Books and Crooked Path in LA and Dark Star Magic in Portland, Oregon. So there's various stores uh, carrying it as well. And of course, if they want to find me, they can go on Instagram at Shea YouTube at Shea Facebook at Shea And yeah, it's been great talking with you, Carl. Thank you so much. Yeah, no problem. Thank you. And yeah, I'll link every everything out when I do the posts and everything. And Cool. Yeah, and uh, they can order on Muscatonic. That's where I got it from. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, but uh, Muscatonic's great. Larry's a great guy. Yeah, I have. I always love ordering from them if I can because um, they're fast. You know what I mean? He ships the shit like the next day, and you get it like two days later. You know, it's like, <laughs> yeah. like this yeah, is nice. Yeah, yeah, and it's reasonable. It's reasonably priced. Yeah, he you know he doesn't charge that much for shipping. Like, I don't even know how he does it. So it's like. Um, uh, but it's great, you know. Like I always appreciate um, people who they don't they do something they do it right. You know what I mean? Like I'm gonna give you your my my money because you do it right. You know, like I can't stand like um, if you order for somewhere and you're sitting around waiting like for a month before you ship the ship. You know what I mean? Like I don't like I don't really like to support people who like don't you know if you're if you're gonna start a company like this, you know do it right, you right, know I mean? right. <laughs> it's like uh green mysteries took six years from three right. hands press the green mysteries book took six years to get to people they pre-ordered it and it six took years six years yeah really? yeah <laughs> yeah did you hear about that yeah so people are just just got their book in the last couple of months so this is a book they bought six years ago oh wow that's crazy that's a long time that is not the service you're talking about no, that's not the service I'm talking about. Maybe it's that that Levian Satanism side of myself where I'm like, you know, I'm gonna give my money to somebody who actually no. does their job right. You right. know what I mean? <laughs> that, very, like, that very pragmatic, that very pragmatic business like, yeah, yeah. That's why I think 
Yeah, right. And to kind of bring things full circle, that's what I think the voice of LeVay is important. It's that pragmatic voice in the that says, don't let these people bullshit you. Like, don't let, don't let these bullshitters waste, waste your time. I think that's an important voice for us, you know? Particularly in the world of the occult, because uh, there's a lot of bullshitters out there, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> Yeah, 100%. As a, when I got into the occult, that was one of those things that... um. I mean, LaVey was one of the first things I read. I I connected to him. Like, it was one of those things where it was like, I read, I finished a book, and I was like, you know, like, if it, the world worked, like, what he wrote in this book, the world would be a better place. You know, like, I connected to it on, like, a, I disagreed with it. You know what I mean? It was like, a, and, and it kind of did set a lot of my kind of, as far as interacting with the world, it set a lot of the, set, you know, a lot of the ideas that he has in it on the kind of imminent level of reality, I still like, I connect with, you know, ever since then, you know what I mean? And I think, indeed, yeah, it's like, uh, the world of the occult is a lot of bullshit and it's always, you know, try to like cut out the bullshit. You know what I mean? Like, I don't have a lot of patience for, for bullshit books. That, <laughs> that's part of why I liked your book. It's like completely, um, it's like you did that. Like you cut out all the bullshit. You're like it's scholarship. Like, it's scholarship. I, I, I'm yeah. not. I, I I didn't speculate on anything. Yeah, exactly. You know, I, I I did a. I did it. I'm hungry for that. That doesn't mean putting out a book of ritual magic is not something I'm interested in doing. Of course I am. These hymns is going to get a little bit into that. But even then, I I think what's lacking in the world of the occult is hard, objective, foundational truth. Like just something that. It doesn't mean an appeal to the past necessarily, but appeal to reality, appeal to actual information and not fucking, well, I'm the high priest because I said I am and therefore you have to listen to me because my words are important. And I'm looking at you, Mark Allen Smith. Oh, did I just say that? <laughs> right. And you're going to let's meander our way through a thousand pages of like, I don't even know what you're talking about. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, uh, <laughs> right. Yeah. And that's that's one, yeah. That's something I liked about your book is that even when you get kind of like poetic, it makes sense. It's relative to the book, like it's inspiring. You know what I mean? Like you're not, I don't know. It, yeah. I I definitely wrote it, although it touches on some of Nietzsche's, uh, you know, anti-religious, kind of anti-Christian, anti-faith. Uh, definitely, I wrote it for someone like you who I, you know, I'm, I am drawing the actual relation that Nietzsche has to the philosophy of Satanism and, and the truth behind that. But if you are a believer reading through that, you're going to see, and you reminded me of that because you've quoted me on a couple of your posts, and it showed that I did write that even, a, even though I'm talking about kind of the some of the anti-Christian uh, Levian connection that Nietzsche has, uh, you could be a believer or a theistic Satanist going through that and find points of faith. And you reminded me of that's why I wrote the book. I wrote the book so that uh, people who necessarily don't identify with the Nietzschean philosophy or Levian philosophy at all would gain something from it. And that's why, why I also added the hymns. Like I said, I'm, I'm a man of faith and uh, I definitely didn't warp anything in there. I, I don't actually agree with a lot of the, some of the more political, social Darwinistic stuff in there. Um, I have some lessons from that that I, that I agree with, but 
for the most part, that's not my political identity. Uh, however, I can't just because it's not mine, not draw that connection. The reality is what it is. Nietzsche influenced this aspect of the satanic philosophy. And it's my personal belief doesn't fucking change that. It's not going to change what it is. And the book is about that. How's Nietzsche influenced Satanism? And so I write about that, of course. But also, I, you know, I talk about some of the the glory behind the satanic image and the the passion behind the satanic image and that's why i added the hymns and uh but you know i noticed i noticed you pulled from it exactly what i want so i'm gonna pull from it so i appreciate that yeah definitely now one quote about the blazing eyes um i can't remember that quote you should you should you should read you should read it yeah you should read that quote before we sign off let's uh here, it's faster way. I'll pull it up. That's a good idea. Yeah, because that's kind of what I feel like people should take away and and go get the book and read it. And let's see, where is it? Is this one? Okay. Yeah, the devil's forked path begins at the shores of an impossible twilight. The dust speckled blanket above that swallows the starlit gaze of the devotional. His face is terrible, nature in toto. His eyes are setting suns, beaming beautiful and black as the ocean. I'm with it. Yeah. Like, (laughs) I I think I told you that that's, um, corresponds like almost exactly to my perception of this, of Satan as a force. And like reading that was like, wow, that's, that's great. And I felt that with the, the hymns as well. And I would recommend everybody, um, who listens to this to go um, check out your YouTube channel and listen to the hymn to Satan and hymn to Lucifer. Cause particularly hearing you recite them, it gives it a lot of power, you know? And uh, I saw that one video where you walked through the book and you did the hymn at the end. And, and then I listened to the other one that you posted by itself. And it was just like, yeah, has a lot of power. I think um, just the power of those hymns alone. I'm definitely looking forward to, to your next book. So, yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Carl. I had a really fun time. It's good to connect with a fellow adherent, and um, I appreciate it very much. Thank you, Shay. I appreciate it. I'll talk to you later. All right, brother. Bye. Twice removed, three days past noon, our last afternoon. She's that hollow godparent who named me after my father's infinity. He died failing my legacy, but yet I'm still there lying in the chapel, bathing in my final baptismal. Mommy's encased in a golden frame, drowning in the depths of an emerald. She's carried upon the backs of cherub children, buried as pretense dog. She's shining as a goddess in the congregation of my date of birth, now deferred. Thank you.